Hello? 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 This is Michael Rosso. Hello, this is Dwayne Polku. Super positive. And this is the February 15th, 2010 Film Photography Podcast. Film Photography Podcast. Dwayne and I, we're in a alternative cinema studios, and uh, our studio is actually relocated. And so now we're in a new space. This is not our permanent space, but there may be, may be more of an echo. 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 I like it, though. I like it, though. Oh, you do? Well, we have windows we could see outside, and we're expecting a huge snowstorm, so... That is true. Nothing to do with photography, but... Nothing to do with photography. You know what I didn't do? And before we started rolling, so to speak, uh, Dwayne and I were uh, looking at a Lubitel 166U for Universal 120 film camera. Made in the USSR. And um, I actually brought... This, this is my camera. I bought it on eBay. And I bought I brought a roll of film in for the very reason, Dwayne, shooting something. Of you shooting me and vice versa here while we're doing the podcast since we're in this beautiful light. But I'm a little disorganized today. I have a roll of 800 speed film. 800 speed film? Uh, I, are you going to put the film in this camera and we're going to shoot some photos? We're going to shoot a photo of me and, and vice versa to test the fact that I can't find focus on this camera. Oh, so and if you you mentioned to me earlier that when you go online and you uh, you Google the Lubitel 166 Universal, that it, indeed focusing is a huge problem with this camera. Yeah, just about every thread on the Lubitel 166 mentions the fact that uh, looking through the what would you call the top? Is it, you don't call it an eyepiece. What do you call that? It's a viewfinder. Oh, the viewfinder, the top viewfinder. Looking at your subject through the viewfinder and adjusting the focus, which which strangely enough is on the front of the camera, impossible. There's no like you're looking through the viewfinder and there's just there's just no focus. As I am operating this manual focus, I don't see any uh, any difference any, any image in the uh, the viewfinder going in and out of focus. So there really is no focus point, is there? So, and this is if you look at the top of the viewfinder, this is a true Lomo camera made in Saint Petersburg by the Lomo factory. I would guess that this is a 1980s. This film, this camera was probably made in the 1980s. I don't think this particular model is being made anymore, but it's usually popular. There are a lot of um, galleries on Flickr.com that you know highlight photos from the Lubitel, and I kind of like the camera. First of all, it gives you kind of a freedom of not worrying about the focus. So I just compose through the viewfinder. And I just set the focus length 
because the numbers are really big on the mm-hmm. fo- on the top if you look at the photos. There's an index that, that yes. gives you the feet. The, it's in feet. How many feet away the subject is, right? So I just look at the, who I am photographing. I quickly set the feet. I hope it's feet. Feet. And, um, you know, I've got a mixed bag of results with the Lubatel. Most of them I've been kind of spot on, and they actually you can get a focus. The camera also features a very, um, you know, kind of traditional Lomo look, which traditional Lomo look is the fact that the edges of your frame are going to be a little dreamy. Lomo look. So the image in the center is going to be the sharpest. And uh, the edges are going to be dreamy. And, of course, the higher your f-stop, the, the, the you know sharper your image is going to be. So here's a question for you, Dwayne. Yes. Uh, in order for us to do this test shot of, of us, should I run to you know my desk and get a, a, a light meter, and B, a tape measure? I think... If you want to do some sort of controlled result, that would be uh, that would be the best way you to do it. You don't want to guess the f-stop with 800 speed film. No, I mean it's it, the light in here is so it's so much darker than it is outside. You can't use the sunny 16 rule. I just I don't know what it is okay. in here. Would you load? Would you load it? I've never loaded one of these before. I don't know how to do it. Oh, let you do it. Oh, okay. I thought I'd go get the stuff while you load, and it'd be like you know, like you'd be loading, and I'd be running across the office, and be, be like. Where did Mike go? Well, I've never loaded. I mean, I know how to load a Mamiya RZ67 and a Hasselblad, but I don't, this is oh, it's the same kind of principle. Back swings open. Yep, back back swings open. Okay. Okay, so the Lubatel 166. I'll give you a little history. Actually, it's a nice kind of plug for eBay, because I've come across folks who ask questions on various uh, boards, saying, you know, hey, can I trust eBay? Can I use eBay? Should I use eBay? And I can tell you that you know I've never, ever. In the 10, 15-year history of me using eBay, had a problem. So the Lubatel I bought on eBay for $36, and there was a problem. Well, the 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 actual the listing said, you know, Lubatel 166 tested functions, works functions, all shutter speeds work, yada yada. Great, I bought it, 36 bucks plus shipping, U.S. dollars. I get the camera, I test it. And at the lower shutter speeds, f, uh, f30 and f, uh, not f, um, one fifteenth of a second. What am I saying here? F fifteenth. Yeah. <laughs> one thirtieth of a second. One thirtieth of a second. Or and, and longer. And one fifteenth of a second, mm-hmm. the shutter sticks. Like, it's just normal though. You fire it, shutter is open, and like. You have to jiggle it to. I use view camera lenses, you know, and some of these Ilex shutters from the 50s and 60s. You just, there's absolutely no way the, these things are a- accurate at all. Well, and you have to get them adjusted. The CLA, it's called Clean Lubricate and Adjust. CLA. Where that's, do you that's that? the lingo. Uh, there are different people that do it. There are people that are dedicated to really large format shutters. Uh, people, I'm sure there are people that probably do. Um, the Lomography type cameras, you'd have to maybe Google. But CLA is the term. For those of you out there that have a camera and you have a shutter, a manual shutter, and it's sticking, the lingo is CLA, clean, lubricate, and adjust. And if you just Google it and Google a type of camera, you probably will come up with a list of people that are, that are willing to do it. And it's cheap. I mean, it shouldn't be more than, you know, I mean, a really, really, really high-end large format shutter is maybe like 50 bucks and, and, and we, <laughs> $50 to, to fix an $18 camera. Exactly. Yeah. So no, what, but I mean, it's not going to be that much for that and one. And what do you use to find this out? The Google? Oh, just the Google. The Google. Google. 
I was shocked to find that the shutter speeds were sticky because the listing clearly stated that, uh, you know, everything was great. Shutter's not sticky. So I emailed the seller and I said, look, your, your listing says the camera was functional at all shutter speeds. And I'd like to send this camera back to you. Like, it, it, the camera was not, you know, it's, it doesn't perform as you stated it did, as it, as it, as it would. Email came back. Guy's like, look, I have no use for this camera. I'm going to refund your money and just keep it and use it for parts. And, you know, like a tear formed in my eye. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, how nice is that? I said, to, then I emailed back. I'm like, look, I like the camera. I'd like to keep the camera. Let's be fair. How about, how about you split the cost with me? And he sent me back 18 bucks, which means the camera cost me $18. Shout out. So I thought that was really fair and, and very nice of the guy to, to want to just give it to me. You know, there are, a lot, there are a lot of people on eBay who don't know anything about what they're selling, like not a clue. It's many of the listings will say, which I usually, I usually don't buy from these guys. They're like, you know, camera from an estate sale. I know nothing about cameras, you know, sold as is. And you look at the camera, the pictures are great, but you don't even have an, an idea if the shutter fires. So I only buy from sort of like guys who actually, and girls, who actually use the equipment in some way, shape, or form, and in the auction actually say, you know, hey, I fired the shutter, you know. I, shutter fires. Yeah, shutter fires, and I used all the shutter speeds, and everything appears to be, fun, you know, working. Now, does that mean that one-thirtieth of a second is actually one-thirtieth of a second? No. How off do you think it is? Probably not much, right? Um, well, again, it depends on the level of, of quality and, and dependability that was built into the piece of equipment to begin with. If it's a higher-end camera, like we were talking about a Maya or a Hasselblad, yeah, you, 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 you pay for what you get. You get what you pay for, I mean. You know, then it's probably pretty accurate. But something like this, right. I don't even know. And I just picture a bunch of these guys in a, a factory in Russia. It's 3 o'clock <laughs> three o'clock in the afternoon and they're drinking vodka. Yeah, that's Fine. Thirtieth <laughs> of a second, twenty of a second. It's a Lubatel. <laughs> Who cares? Let's go, Niet. Uh, <laughs> you know? It's just like it works. It fires. I'm gonna run. Uh, that would be a really cool project for somebody to do. To actually, I mean, you can buy shutter testers. They're not that expensive. Get and out. Yeah, yeah. They're be little beams of light. Oh. And uh, and it measures the duration that that beam of light is broken. Whoa. Thereby determining the length of time that that shutter opens and closes. And it would be kind of funny to see uh, how you, accurate their shutters. Where do you buy such a thing? Oh man, um, where would you? Oh, shutter tester. Well, uh, you tell probably, our probably audience eBay. where you buy that. Let me just run thirty seconds. Okay. I'm going to run a thirtieth of a second to get a light meter. Okay. And a tape measure. Go go to it. Okay. We're going to do like a little live experiment here on the Film Photography Podcast. Can we get an actual focus on the Lubatel 166? So basically, what we're doing is a bit of a controlled study to measure. The, uh, the actual focus capability and the accuracy of the focus of this thing. Because as Mike said, um, you know, the thing of it is too, it's, it's a 120 camera, it's a medium format camera, and it's a 75 millimeter lens, which is, I guess you could say a slightly long wide angle lens or slightly short normal lens, because roughly uh, 90 to 110 is, millimeters is the normal focal length of a medium format camera. So, you know, when you're dealing with a, a wide angle lens and you're looking through the viewfinder, there is quite an apparently large depth of field anyway, so finding a focus point can be a bit difficult. 
But uh, this one is impossible. I mean, I'm just focusing close. I'm focusing. I'm focusing far, and I'm getting nothing out of it. So what we're doing is, we're as Mike said, we're going to pre-focus on the distance scale on the lens. Actually, measure that distance with a tape measure. Uh, process the film and see if it is indeed crisp or if it is indeed fuzzy. Thereby determining whether or not, uh, you know, there's any rhyme or reason to the focusing accuracy on this thing. Uh, I'm using a Luna Pro. Luna Pros are great. They're classic meters. Luna Pro F. Oh, they're wonderful meters. That selenium oxide cell, or is it just like a battery? You don't know. It's battery. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's battery. It's a Luna Pro F. A cinematography teacher in 1986, uh, Beta Rich Botka. That was his name? Yes. Beta Rich Botka? He shot uh, some Tatum O'Neill movie. Did he? Yeah, in the 70s. She was cute back then. Yeah. Still and cute. He, I took a cinematography class, and he said, uh, <laughs> Gosin Luna Pro F. Like, that was it. That was like the law. Like Don't a, even bother with anything else. Seriously, he, he, it was like the law. It was like Sakonic, anything else. It was like, Gosin Luna Pro F. When I worked at the Lomo factory in St. Petersburg. So I, No, he was Czechoslovakian. <laughs> oh. So when I uh, went to purchase a light meter in 1986, I bought the Gosson Luna Pro F. And that's the same one from 86? Yeah. God help me if I would buy something different and bring it to class, I'd probably get, you know, hit. Well, there was Minolta's back then? Uh, a lot of my friends use spot meters, and they swear by it. They just love them. You know, digital spot meters, of course. Uh, so I'm going to shoot uh, uh, 50th of a second at F4. No. In here, really? Yeah, it's, that's bad. You, you, it surprises you? 800 ASA? Yeah. Well, Sunny 16 rule would say that in bright sunlight, it would be 1 500th of a second at F16. And it's got to be six difference, six stops difference. So that would bring it from 1 500th to 250th, 125th, 60th, 30th, 15th, and an 8th. So I would say one eighth at one sixteen. So you're going um, eleven eight five six four. So one eighth. Well, yeah. There is no f four. <laughs> so we're gonna try thirtieth of a second at. I would uh, say one one twenty fifth actually at f four. So uh, there's more light in here than I was giving you credit for. We're gonna try thirtieth of a second and pray it doesn't stick. It's it's All gonna right. stick. Grabbing a, uh, what do you call this? That is a cable release, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> if now, if our audience could like... Mike's, actually, o- Mike's only been in the production business for a quarter of a century. What's this? Is a lens cap? He's <laughs> a lens cap. And, uh, I've discovered that with these with the square cameras... <laughs> going back to the Stone Age. With the square cameras, what are these called? Lubitel. 120? With the 120 cameras... <sighs> Is that 6x6 six six or 6x7? Six 6x6, six six, right? You know, it's strange that you should ask that. Now, if the audience could just see us, of how, like... Ill-prepared we are? <laughs> I brought this specifically for you. Oh, outstanding. Now, I don't know why this comes with it. This comes with... Here, open that. What is this thing? The Lubitel 166 comes with this adapter, so if you want to adapt from... Without that piece of plastic, it shoots six by six. And what basically this is are four point five by by six. Right, six by four, six by four point five. 
So the question I have, Duane, is this. If this is a 6x6 camera, why in God's name would you want to put a, a mask in in the camera to shoot a smaller negative? Like, why? Well, that begs the question, why did Hasselblad, which makes a 6x6 format film camera with 6x6 backs, do exactly the same thing? It doesn't make any sense. What I think it does is it gives you more frames per roll. Be oh, it does. You're absolutely correct. That's why they do it. Absolutely correct. Because on the back of the Lubitel, if you're shooting 6x4, you slide the red window. Right. You slide it over to 6x4, and it, I guess is a different... A different numerical scale yes. because you're going to have a couple more frames per roll. My point is, though... It's it's I mean you're spending money especially if it's a higher end camera for the quality of that big negative so what you know you're too cheap to buy an extra roll of film so you have a couple of extra frames you gotta have ooh you're shortchanging yourself by doing that what's the point of using a big bigger format of film you want you want more more real estate on that piece of film okay let me paint a scenario here you're out on a picnic with your family let's say uh -huh. and all you have is the Louboutin and one <laughs> roll of film and you know it's gonna be like a birthday cake and everything and you're like oh man I need more frames. <laughs> So is that a situation where maybe someone would actually need? I don't know. That just I mean, if, that just blows your mind. It just blows my mind that that you've created that scenario. But uh, I guess yeah, why not? There's also no actual. I guess the no offense to the Russians. You know how cameras have this. You know they have a little little target of where the actual film plane is. Right. Zero. I guess they just nothing. There's no no line. Yes. Etched into the body of the camera indicating where the film plane is. What do you is? suppose the guys at the factory said when they were designing it? Niet. <laughs> Niet. <laughs> what? All right, so grab this uh, tape measure here. By the way, there one of there is a... Uh, Just for the end, yeah, there you go. There is an amazing knockoff of the Hasselblad made in Russia called the Kiev. Have you heard of the Kiev? In play, tell, tell us about it. I'll bring that to your eye. My eye. Pull in focus. If you could see us now, we're with a tape measure from the camera, four feet two inches. So I'll set it at four feet. What do you think? Well, I don't think it goes to inches, does it? Also, it's been a bit real hassle shooting 120 with view, top viewfinders because <laughs> I wear glasses. I'm near nearsighted, but I'm also farsighted now because I'm getting old. <laughs> and when you get old, you can't effing see. So anyhow. <laughs> So my sight has changed. So strangely enough, when I look through the top viewfinder, I don't need my glasses. Because there's, um, there's a, some of them have a magnifying diopter and some of them have a Fresnel lens on the little focusing screen, so it magnifies it for you. All right, so what I'm doing now is I am going to shoot Dwayne. I'm at four, we're four feet apart. One, two, three. Let me get an extra shot. There's a window in the back that tells you how many exposures you have. I'm holding an Agfa clack. <laughs> You'll see these pictures in our pool. One it's more. A the Agfa clack is a truly beautiful camera. Uh, for when you take the picture, Dwayne, here's the you, you cock the shutter here, you pull this down. Okay. And then of course you use your cable release. Yes, cable release. One, two, three. The other thing about shooting 120, which if you recall, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know, when we first started this, 120 was a complete mystery to me. You have to. Re you, I really could use like a level, like a bubble here. You're shooting. It's very difficult to. You're, you're using a thirty-six dollar camera, man. No, every single camera, like the Yashica A, every one twenty camera. Don't you think it's hard to find your? Does it have grid lines in the focusing screen? 
This one, yes, it does. Well, that's what you're supposed to use. <laughs> I'm just hassling. I'm hassling my. There you today. go. Take take my shot. Anyhow, everyone, this is sort of almost like a. I call this this portion of the podcast. It's like when you see a movie and you see like the pre-credit sequence, like in mm-hmm. a Bond film. <laughs> like we haven't really started the podcast yet. So. Yeah, but this is this is an interesting experiment for those people that do to use this camera to see whether this focus is in or out. I mean, I want to know. I don't even own the camera, but I want to know. I'd say this is the challenge. I mean, so uh, wait oh, about here's the same. Yeah, okay. because the the. Um, a lot of cameras also don't have any type of, you know, uh, way of... What am uh, I advancing it to? Next number. Oh. All right. Let's do one more. Yeah, you got... You could actually double... Easily double expose because it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't click in a... It doesn't click. Lock in, okay. Great. Beautiful. Terrific. Beautiful. We did our first, uh, you know, the... We did our first live experiment on the Film Photography Podcast. And uh, next time in March, we'll have these film, this film back. And uh, <laughs> I said, did you leave a lens cap on? It didn't come with a lens cap, oh. which is great. And I was using, just so you know, some film I bought on eBay, uh, Fujifilm uh, NHG2 800 ASA. Color print? Color print film. Beautiful film. And, uh, you know, I've had a bit of a problem since our last podcast. I've been buying... Excessive amounts of film. Does Mike have a um, film compulsion to purchase film? Well, here's what happened, and this is is not going to surprise you. Photographers who go to digital will put their entire freezer of film on eBay saying, switching to digital. Don't need it. Don't need it. Here's 180 rolls of 120 film. 8,000 rolls of Kodachrome. My wife said, it's you or the film. Exactly. And, uh, that's, where, that's where you're headed. Usually, well, I don't, I don't have a wife. Well, so okay. So the film can be gotten for less than one dollar U.S. per roll. We should point out that Kodak has discontinued yet two more films in the um, 120 format. Try expand the venerable 400 speed film in, I believe, 120 and 220 has been discontinued. There are two different uh, flavors of Tri-X Pan. There's Tri-X Pan 320, which is the Pro series film, and there's the ASA 400, which is supposedly the uh, the amateur emulsion. The difference being the characteristic curve. One of them is more straight line. One of them more favors the shadows. I believe the uh, 400 speed one, the curve favors the shadows because they figure amateurs are going to use it they're not going to meter as precisely and they're going to process their own film therefore it is more forgiving but a lot of people liked that a lot of people felt that there was a tonality to the uh the 400 speed kodak tri-x pan film that was uh, a little more i guess you'd say beautiful than the other one and now it's gone i guess kodak figured you know we're trying to push the tmx films i believe they still make tmx 100 and the new tmx 400 and 120 so if you are a fan of 120 or 220 T-Max 400, not the T-Max 400 Pro, but the, just the I mean, 320 Pro, but the regular T-Max 400, now is the time to buy it and freeze it or buy it and use it or lose it. Well, thank you, Dwayne. Actually, this, this is like news. I read it in the form. I'm assuming it was uh, – it's true. It was on APUG and it was on uh, – LFinfo.com. And I read online that uh, Fuji, and although this is a bit old news, 
Uh, did you are you aware that Fuji last year introduced a brand new medium format rangefinder six by nine camera? Which I just happened to be looking up because I, I was looking up the much older models mm -hmm. that you had mentioned before. So they introduced a six by nine? Yes, they did. Rangefinder film camera last year. And I am That's crazy. That, I didn't that, do my homework and I'm looking for it right now. Fuji makes great cameras. Oh, here it is. They make they have amazingly good lenses too. I have two uh two Fuji format large format lenses. They're amazing. It looks like it was introduced in two thousand eight. Uh, the PMA, no, it was at the PMA 2008. Are you familiar with that show? I went to it one year. It was in Las Vegas. Is it in New Orleans now? Where is it? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to find the model. It's the Photo Marketing Association trade show. It is not a show like Photokina in Cologne. It is not a show like the Photo Expo show in New York City that we attended. It's a photo marketing show, meaning it's for people who are in the, uh, the photography marketing business to go and uh, exhibit and trade oh. ideas on how to sell their product. So it's much more marketing driven rather than, hey, camera, hey, here's film. It's like, you know, what do we do to sell our product? It's it's more business oriented. It's like a business to business thing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I found it really, really not something I was terribly interested in. Most of the people there weren't even photographers. They were just people right. in the marketing business. I mean, they were, they were nice enough folks and everything, and it's nice to see them. You know, but if you want to talk shop about photography, they were not the people to talk to. And uh, I can't find I can't find the listing. I, I did not do my homework. That was like 10 years ago. Maybe it's changed. They introduced the camera in 2008, actually. Well, I have two Fuji large format lenses for my 4x5 camera. I have the uh, 210 f5.6 and the 250mm f6.3 NW series, and they are exquisite. Really? Yes. There are four big manufacturers of large format glass, um, as they say. There's Fuji, there's Nikon, there's Schneider, and there's Rodenstock. And, you know, Fuji doesn't really market it. In fact, they don't even have an official distributor in the United States. But they still make lenses. Oh, they do. Uh, Nikon discontinued their large format mm -hmm. lens line, but Fuji still makes them. So when, my point being, when you buy a camera like that, like Mike's talking about, the lenses are probably spectacular. Wow. Well, from using the Agfa Clack, which we talked about last time, Agfa Clack. I was fascinated by the large size of the negative, which was 6 by 9 Like, fascinated by it. I'm like, oh my god, this negative is so huge. But I was disappointed by the performance of the camera, which I'll talk about later. So I was just kind of snooping around to find, you know, well, can I buy a better film camera that has a much nicer lens to shoot 6x9 because I just had in my mind, you know, my imagination went wild. 6x9! To shoot with a really good lens, a landscape, a 6x9 negative. Well, the best one I think I ever made was the Fuji GX, uh, was it 692? And it was this thing that was almost like a view camera. It looked kind of like a Mamiya RZ67, but it had a really, really long bellows on it. And the front of the camera that held the lens could tilt and it could swing and shift. And it was this monstrous, monstrous camera. Really? And they were thousands of dollars, you know, in the 90s. And now I think they're worth like 50 bucks. No, you, <laughs> no, they're like they're like several hundred probably. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my act together for next show and actually have model numbers for you guys out there listening of six six by nine cameras. Uh, and um, but if you have any any six by nine cameras that you know of or six by nine cameras that you are fond of, 
drop a line. Absolutely. I would like to know about them. Filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Because a lot of people don't know, you know, 35mm um, really came about, I guess maybe in the 1930s is when they started it. And before that, you know, in between the wet plate cameras of the latter part of the 19th century and 35 millimeter people use this roll film so there's a lot of different formats out there of uh of roll film you know six by six six by seven six by nine there were six by twelve and i was shocked to find that many of the kodak uh consumer cameras in the 1950s that use 620 roll film mm-hmm. i have to tell you i was a little disappointed kodak Developed 620 is nothing more than 120 on a different spool. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, that they developed it so they can kind of corner the market. They wanted to sell you their film for their cameras. So they put 120 film on a 620 spool mm-hmm. so that you can't buy... Kind of like Microsoft with Internet Explorer. I would yeah. I would say. And it's kind of frustrating now because I own a few older, you know, from the 1950s, 620 cameras. Mm-hmm. And I have to roll the film from 120 to the 620 spool. You actually do that? In a, in a film-changing bag. Oh, man, that is laborious. Yeah. It's a peaceful place, though. It, well, if you like doing it. When my, my, I know this sounds funny, and don't laugh at me. When my hands are in the film bag, it's a, it's a for those of you who don't know, it's a very, you can get them different sizes. It's basically a bag where you stick your hands in each side. It's called a film-changing bag, and it's black inside. There's no light gets in. So you can, well, for lack of a better way of explaining it, play with film. And you could roll, unroll, spool, right. unspool. Uh, it's most notably used for uh, um, film uh, uh, cinematography because you, when you're done shooting a motion picture, you have to go in the dark into a dark room to remove the, the negative from the film camera to put it in its traditional, quote-unquote, metal film can. I happen to own a film bag because I practice cinematography, when I discovered 620 film and the fact that I had to roll it myself, it was, uh, you know, I just kind of did it. So, the, But the point is that when I'm in the film bag, mm-hmm. your hands are in the film bag, and there's nothing else you really can do. No, you can't. You, you can't it's, scratch your, your face. No, it's like unloading and loading 4x5 sheet film onto those Lisco film holders. It's the same thing. Got to be in a changing bag. You're stuck. So my philosophy is to enjoy. It's almost like a peaceful time. Like when you're in the bag, there's nothing else to think about. So you just kind of, your mind just drifts. And it's, I find it to be like, a peaceful place. What are you doing tonight, Mike? Well, I'm going to open a bottle of wine, put on some uh, John Coltrane, and put my hands in a film changing bag. Yeah. A bass. It's peaceful. Exactly. Daddy O. Hello? 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 Hello?
Hello, this is Michael Rosso. Hello, this is Dwayne Polku. Super positive. And this is the February 15th. 2010 Film Photography Podcast. Film Photography Podcast. Welcome to this month's Film Photography Podcast. That was our 30-minute intro before we begin the show. Now we're ready to go. Exactly. Today, we are giving away a Canon AE-1 package. We've described it in the past show, but we're actually picking the winner today. We are. And over the last 30 days, I went on eBay and Alternative Cinema, who's sponsoring the giveaway, by the way, on eBay... Picked up a Canon FTB camera. No. As a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, second prize. What do you call that? A consolation? No, not consolation. It'd be a uh, second prize. Second prize. Yeah, second prize. You know, like when you get the gold, someone always gets the silver. Now, depending on your perspective on cameras, the Canon FTB is, is it just sitting right there, Dwayne? Yes, it is. Can you gra- grab it? I certainly can. I am a huge fan of Canon FT cameras. First of all, they're tanks. Look at this thing. It's an anchor. I mean, it's a tank. Oh, thanks. Uh, I own, personally, two Canon FTs and a Canon FTB. They're easily obtainable on eBay. How much did that go for? Oh, you don't want to say. Uh, you know what? I don't have the paperwork in front of me, but I would guess that... Um, the uh, the the main prize we're giving away probably has a uh, a tag on it of about sixty U.S. dollars, maybe seventy U.S. dollars. When that was new, that package, the Canon AE1, I believe, was about four hundred dollars. This is back. This is nineteen eighties money, and there are two lenses with the main package. So the initial package we're giving away, the gold package we're giving away today, is probably valued back in nineteen eighties money at about nine hundred dollars. Wow. The Canon FTB is, it is a manual camera. Um, it doesn't have a program mode, but the great thing about this camera is it's... It, the great thing is that the lenses are super, super crisp. Canons are really well made. It's a rugged tank. You put that baby in a tripod and... It does. This know, camera it has... super, super sharp photos. I've run two rolls of film through this camera, and uh, it works just fine. This does have a battery compartment for an internal light meter. I will tell you on the FTB, whoever wins the second prize... I did not test the light meter. I did not. Uh, I shot Sunny 16, which is you go outside and, well, you can Google it. It tells you the whole Sunny 16 thing. But you know what, Dwayne? I didn't know what Sunny 16 was. I've been shooting still photography since the 80s. I didn't know what, like, I didn't know the word existed. Once again, for those of you who don't know, Sunny 16 means (laughs) the correct, you achieve the correct exposure on a sunny day by setting your f-stop at 16 and your film's uh, shutter speed at the reciprocal of the film speed, meaning one over. So if it's ASA 400, it's one 400th of a second. Or one, in this case, one 500th of a second. Exactly. And, then and if, it works pretty closely. It really does. If you're using negative film, you really have no sweat. No. I mean, even, I've even used it in a pinch room. My meters thought using transparency film, which is a much, much narrower uh, tolerance for over and under exposure, and it still worked. Yeah. But um, if you want to chance, I'll, I'll include a note, whoever wins this. You can purchase the batteries. It used to be a Mercury battery, which uh, Mer- Mercury batteries are banned now. But I can tell you that they were amazing batteries because I still have a Mercury battery from the 1960s. That still works. Amazing. And some of the Mercury did soak into your body and it gave you a little <laughs> bit of a nervous tick. But it went away after a couple weeks. Yes. Uh, does that thing have a manual mode where you can use it without the battery? 
Yeah. Well, oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, oh, As a matter of fact, this is an, the FTB is an all manual 35 millimeter camera, and in the when you look through the eyepiece, there is a a uh, meter system. Yeah, go ahead. Now you're gonna look through the eyepiece. You're gonna notice through the eyepiece, you're gonna be like, oh, it looks a little dirty. There's yeah. nothing to do. That's not, as you know, it's not going to be reflected on your image. I would say that. Um, what do you think is causing that dirty look? I think, I just think it's um, there's probably a coating. Yeah. On the matte focusing screen. Okay. And it probably gets a little scuffed, in time. And it isn't dirt. It's just right. the fact that. Light is refracting in a different way than the rest of the right. screen, so it looks like a scuff mark. That's so, all it is. So don't be disappointed if you win this camera and you look through the eyepiece and you're like, oh, man. Oh, by no means is, is it bad. I just looked at it myself, and it's great. I'm, in fact, I'm stealing it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I buy one of those. I don't have a, I don't have a 35 millimeter film camera. You now. don't? No. Oh. There you go. Put that over there. But I want one. So a little bit later on in the show, we're going to pick some winners. In the meantime, let's get right into our letters. Oh, my favorite part. Our mailbag. I really feel that our letters will kick all of our discussions off, except probably our book review. Dwayne has a book review today, and uh, Ansel Adams' singular images. <laughs> the master. <laughs> Dwayne, why don't you read our first letter from uh, Dieter? I believe Dieter wrote to us before because he's from Randolph, New Jersey. Remember that? Not really. This is from Dieter Zakis. I remember his name. Hi, guys. I'd like to bring to your attention a company called Film Rescue International, a North Dakota company that develops all sorts of film. In a recent podcast, you discovered Dwayne's photo not handling 120 Kodachrome. I emailed them asking whether they do, and as of this writing, I haven't received their response. And their answer is going to be... <coughs> now, Dieter, no one... Uh... Oh, look, you know what? I'm not going to say never say never, and I'm not going to bet my life that they're going to say no. They're not going to do it. You know why? 120 Kodachrome never caught on anyway. Why? Well, tell me why. Well, 120 Kodachrome came out relatively the same era that Fuji introduced Velvia film, and the granularity of and the saturation and just the, the plain darn sharpness of 120 uh Velvia was very much equivalent to Kodachrome. They were very, very close. The Kodachrome turnaround time was a couple of days. Velvia, E6, a couple of hours. So 120 being primarily a pro film, what are you going to do? You're going to wait two days, you're going to wait two hours. You're telling me that Kodachrome did not the Kodak did not introduce Kodachrome 120 till way late in the game? Oh, yeah. Kodachrome... Uh, Makes no sense if you think about Kodachrome it. Kodachrome in, in... Well, Kodachrome was first introduced in 8x10 sheets... Back, I believe it was the 1940s. Don't quote me on that. But oh, well, and then they, they said, okay, you know, 35 mil was really kicking in in the 50s, and then that's when Kodak made Kodachrome for the masses, the little cardboard, you know, transparency mounts for your slide projectors. Right. That's what was really the selling point. That was the mainstay of Kodachrome, the 35 millimeter film and the cardboard mounts with their, you know, proprietary processing. 120 Kodachrome, I believe, was like maybe uh, late 80s, early 90s. That's insane because Kodak introduced Kodachrome. It was Kodachrome 64. It wasn't 25. It was Kodachrome 64. Because Kodak introduced Kodachrome 110, 126 for consumers. Uh, of course, Kodachrome 8mm film, Kodachrome 16mm film. It, 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 I never really thought of it was that late 
of an entry. Why the heck, with 120 being so popular, why the heck wouldn't they have introduced it a lot sooner? I don't know. Hmm. But it never really caught on the way the 35mm film caught on. Well, Dieter, we don't know, but we think that... I'd say no. We're going to say, we're going to vote no. It was a beautiful film, by the way. I I shot, uh, let's see, I did did a photo shoot with it that was in um, New Hampshire. That was 1989. Yes, it was the late 80s when they came out with it. And it was beautiful. God. Really? Oh, my God. It was so sharp. And uh, it had like that Kodachrome color bias a little bit to the red side of the spectrum. But it was beautiful, beautifully crisp. I used to use a 6x7 Pentax with it. And man, it was nice. Jason but, from Vernon, New Jersey. Hey, by, Jason. By the way, I lived in Vernon, New Jersey for 11 years. And Jason went to, as he calls it, Bill on the Hill, which is which is William Patterson University here in Wayne, New Jersey. Which is it is, on a hill? Uh, yes, it is. So not only do I li- used to live in the town where Jason now lives, but I went to the same school that he went to. So, uh, I mean, we practically know him. Jason says, I heard the Jan 15 podcast and would like a chance to win the AE1. Well, you're in the box, Jason, so we'll, we'll find out if you're the winner. I love photography, exclamation point. The AE1 would be awesome since I could shoot IR film again. Infrared? Infrared. You know, as much as a nut I've been, you know, now I'm shooting 120 and I have a fridge full of film. It's the same kind of thing. I don't think I'm going to go there this month. But it's a big mystery to me, infrared film. What's the story, Dwayne? Get the get the freestyle catalog, which we have right in front of us right now, and I'm sure that they have a uh, an infrared film. Want me to look it up real quick? Yeah, Dwayne has a print catalog from Freestyle. You can still I love it. They actually still print this beautiful catalog. Isn't it great to That's hold amazing. a catalog? Oh my B and H also prints a catalog. I don't know if B and H. You know what? This is the better catalog because that catalog in your hand specifically focuses in on film and it's awesome so jason um you gonna you want to shoot some ir film you grew up in pompton lakes which is a stone throw from our studio here in butler new jersey you're now living in vernon you went to bill on the hill oh my god fk infrared films so infrared film what's the story is it for in well most films are called panchromatic film because they are, um, are sensitive to all colors of light of the spectrum but infrared film is primarily sensitive to the infrared end of the spectrum and uh what you do is you put a filter on the on the front of the lens and you slightly shift focus a little bit what kind of filter i believe it's a red uh what is the ratten number for kodak i believe it's a 25a but what is the purpose of shooting infrared film what well a lot of people like it because it renders foliage or anything green almost a milky white, and you get that almost um, a surreal, a dreamlike quality to the. Uh, what does it do to, to flesh tone? It makes it a little bit. Ru- I've never used it, but I've seen results with it, and it looks a little bit ruddy, almost dark. It's sensitive, really, to heat. Infrared radiation being heat. Oh. And so. Uh, Actually, you, you, if you handle it with your hands, you can fog it just from it coming in contact with your skin. Wow. So you have to use gloves when you do it and uh, be a little bit more careful with it. But I've seen – there are a couple of books out there of infrared photography, and it's 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 a little bit grainier too. you know. But that that's the quality of it that people like. So it renders foliage and anything green a little bit lighter, and it's a little bit more grainy, and it's beautiful. Well, it's a lot of practice though. 
Well, Jason, if you win the AE1, hopefully you'll share your photography uh, with us. Uh, He goes on to say he loves Brother Bruno's Pizza, which is in Wayne, New Jersey. Yes. What's not to love? And that as far as photography, he is still looking for a vision. And what I think he's saying is sort of like how I feel sometimes, an inspiration, a project. Would you interpret it as that? A person's vision is uh, what it is they choose to shoot and how they choose to shoot it, right? how they choose to present it, and hopefully those things come together to form uh, something cohesive that uh, says something about the way they see things and the way they feel about things. Right. You know, it's, it's lending itself to a particular style. And he goes on to say that uh, he, would like us to he-, he would like to hear more about black and white photography. So uh, maybe we'll devote a show to black and white photography in the future. I used to be the technical rep for Edwall Imaging from 1995 to 2002. And Edwall, if you ever get the book uh, Ansel Adams, Examples of the Making of 40 Images. Ansel Adams, most people know who he is, of course. If you go to any frame shop, you see a bazillion different posters of Ansel Adams. He was a West Coast large format landscape photographer. And when you go through this book, you see all these uh, references to, I use this Edwall chemistry and this chemistry. Now, most people, of course, they know Kodak and they know Ilford, but Edwall was a very small brand that a lot of fine art photographers in California used for many, many years. And I was their their technical rep, and I did their QC for chemical mixing for about seven or eight years. And it was cool because I got to meet all these famous photographers and sometimes go to their houses and go to their studios and go to their shows. So, uh, I got a lot of experience with black and white doing that. I just throw, I thought we'd throw that out there, throw my resume reference out there. Anyway, but if you look at this catalog, you see Efke Infrared Films. It's uh, 35 by 36 exposures, 10 bucks. That's not too bad. No. Konica used to make it. They were like 12 a roll. And I'm sure that in that freestyle catalog, there's an awful lot of black and white film. Oh, tons of it. There's a... Uh, Legacy Pro, and there's Acros, and there's Fomapan, and there's Kodak, and there's Ilford, and there's Efke, and there's Raleigh, there's Adox. So uh, for someone out there who loves film photography, I don't have that catalog. That's like a dream, having you, that catalog. You want one? You want this one? Oh. I've looked at it. You may have it if you want it. I just won a freestyle ph- photographic supply catalog on my own podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. You're quite welcome, Michael. Our next letter, our next two letters, touch upon scanning which is going to lead us into discussing scanning. Scanning. Good day, Film Photography Podcast. I'm Gino. Hey, Gino. Hey, Gino. I've been shooting film for three years. Lomography ignited my love for film, which is terrific because we've discussed that in the past. Lomography. There are lots of threads on Flickr. You love it. You hate it. As a photographer, you want to trash it because, oh, what is this lomography? But you know what? It's, it's people having fun. Come it's on. It's getting people interested in film. God. And once you're – yeah, hey, lighten up, up people. Lighten oh, my up. God. If you go on Flickr, at first I was like a novice. So I would just be like, oh, you know what? It's like the 60s again on, on Flickr. Everyone's peace and love. No, now I've dug a little deeper. I told you. And as soon as you dig a little deeper, someone will ask the simplest question. The simplest question. Like, uh, you know, how do I, you know, how do I use the light meter in my camera? And someone will be will pounce on them with like a Google link. Like pounce on, like look. I will admit that most people who ask a question in a board have not done their research. But you know what? In the those people's defense, sometimes there's new information to be had. By someone's experience. Right. Sometimes there are other people out there that didn't chime in last time and they have something new to add. 
And sometimes you're just tired and you don't want to read through 50 posts. You just want someone to answer your question. So I would I never pounce on anybody for asking a question because for those for those reasons. That's just like you're you're answering the question, but you, you're just doing it with vet like you got enough energy to say how dare you Google it, but you can't answer the guy's question. Well, so <laughs> most uh, the big over a million uh, members in what's called Flickr Central, which is sort of like a ma- very mainstream group that deals with film and digital, mostly digital. And there's people pouncing all over. I mean, you'll see the most ridiculous questions in there. So, but anyhow, so Lomography ignited. Gino's interest in photography. I think that's fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, he became interested and started editing his photos. Uh, but he says, but nothing beats the real thing. If you don't, if you, it's like you don't pay someone to love you. I kind of get that. Well, you know, I was yeah. in Vegas for a couple of years. but It started with Holga. <laughs> then, <laughs> then a Lomo Compact Automat. Then a Yashica Mat 124G. Then a Nikon FE with a nice set of lenses at an unbelievable price. My love of film came to the point where I sold my digital gear. Wow. Wow, that is intense. That is pretty intense, dude. After all, I'm sorry, after that, I ventured back into black and white developing and purchased an Epson film scanner. Yes. You guys make a great show. Well, thank you very much. It's like friends talking about film. Well, yeah. Come on over, have a sandwich. Yeah. I hope you'll be having an episode about scanning and topics about scanning. P.S. I want that Canon film camera. Well, you're in the... Yes. You and whatever many other people. <laughs> Good luck, Gino. We'll uh, see who, if we draw your name later on today. Here's a second letter. Also touches upon scanning. 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 I can't remember. This is from uh, Dan Dom or Dame. D-O-M-M-E. How would you pronounce that? Is it Italian like like or French? Hmm. What's his first name? Daniel. Daniel Dami? We'll say Dami. Hey, Dami. Like like Demi like what's the guy director's D- name? Oh, that's D E M, Demi, Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi, right? So Demi. Well, we'll just call him Dan. Dan says, I can't remember how I found your podcast. Maybe the Google. The Google. But I've been list listening to it nonstop. Well, that's terrific. It's hard to find podcasts of any subject that are both informative and entertaining. Hey, you know what? Maybe it's because I, I, my job is running a DVD, you know, running a DVD independent film. Maybe company. because show business is your life. It's about enter. Yes, absolutely. You know, people want to be entertained. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. <laughs> when thinking about digital film photography, I think people have the wrong order. I started my photography hobby with digital SLR. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because there are a lot of people starting with digital and then going to film. The younger generation, yes, definitely. Not to sound like an old fogey, but got people that are in their, their teens and 20s now, they, they've never used a film camera. I feel like now that I'm confident with my basic skills, it's time to move on to film. I have two cameras on the way from eBay, a, a Canon 35mm and an S-Star, E-A-S-T-A-R, medium format TLR. Twin lens reflex. Yes. My question to you is this. How do I put these negatives that I'll be making online? How do I? So it's a very simple question, and it's a great question because I had the same question a few months ago. Uh, can I use the HP printer scanner to scan the negatives, or do I need to buy some sort of sort of, sort of film scanner? I don't want to waste money on prints that I never use. Also, great point because before I had a scanner, I would send my film out, 
And many of these film processors would like shove the th- prints down your throat. Like the price would be processing, scanning, and then prints. You gotta have the prints guy. <laughs> um, he's on commission, you know. He's got to do that. He wants to know how to how to digitize his images and put them online. Yes, which is uh, a great great question because before I bought my Epson V seven hundred. I was relying on Dwayne's, not this Dwayne, Dwayne Photo in Parsons, Kansas. I was relying on Target. I was relying on CVS here in the U.S. to scan my Clark Color Lab to scan my negatives so that I would get my film back and they'd be scanned so that I could post them on Flickr. Right. And I can tell you that since I purchased my own scanner. Changes your life. Changed my life changed my life because now I have total control of what uh, what uh, you've got total control yeah stop to finish what uh, what do you call that digital the pixels how many pixels what do you call that what, what's your question I have like? control over the, uh, the DPI pixel, the pixel dimensions yes I have control over how I want to scan it it's 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 tops may I say three things about scanners yes please do now, when you, for those of you who are want to do your, your own scanning and digitize your photography to go online, or for whatever reason to print, you know, you read the, the specs of so many of these scanners, and, and they want you to believe that, you know, this is the best you can get. The first point I want to make is that nothing beats a drum scan. Nothing beats a drum scan. What a drum scan is... Yes, please do tell us. Um, there are several different types of scanners. There are dedicated film scanners such as uh, a Nikon Cool Scan, which scans 35-millimeter film. I'm sorry, that's, that's a drum scanner? No, that is just, that's not a drum scanner. Okay. okay. That's just a consumer-level scanner. But a very good one. Very good one. They range in price from a couple of hundred dollars used to a couple of thousand dollars new, and they scan 35-millimeter film strips. Then there are what we would call prosumer flatbed scanners. They are, say, the Microtech Arctic Scan, or the Epson line of flatbed scanners, which go back to the 1600, the 2450, the 3990, the 4990, and the V700 and V750 that Mike Rasso recently purchased. I have this V700, yes. They're in the order of several hundred bucks. 500 bucks. Then you have what's called a virtual desktop drum scanner, and the brand name for that would be FlexTite Imicon. It is now Hasablad Imicon. Sounds fancy. It is very fancy. They're very, very good, and they're about ten to twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> then you have prof- next step up is a professional level flatbed scanner. Names are Creo, among others. The Creo Jazz. They're probably ten, twelve grand a piece. And then the ultimate in scanning is a drum scan. And basically, what that is is a cylindrical drum. The film is oil mounted and put in contact with that drum. The drum rotates at extremely high speed, and I believe it's a uh, cathode beam of light actually scans the surface of that film. Those uh, brand names for scanners would be Aztec, uh, Hell, Tango, and they're anywhere from like 12000 used to $75,000 new. Now, 
Why am I saying this? Because people buy these flatbed scanners like like the Epson and the Microtech, and they say, oh, you know, these things are they're, they're drum scan quality. They're not. Don't ever fool yourself into thinking that you're going to scan a piece of film on a $750, $500 scanner, and you're going to get the same level of quality that you're going to get on a $75,000 drum scan operated by a person whose job it is to do that eight hours a day. Now, that, I don't want you to get depressed over it because you can get truly amazing, amazing results with a prosumer-level flatbed scanner if you practice it quite frequently and learn the ins and outs of it and learn what it can and cannot do, but it still is not going to match the sharpness, the resolution, the clarity, and the DMAX and the saturation that you're going to get if you're using a drum scan. So my point being is, if you have a piece of film and you want to make the absolute ultimate in image quality and the hugest print possible, you have to send it out to a service bureau and get it scanned. If you just want to scan things for the web, if you want to do, say, enlargements up to about, I hear people can get 11 by 14, 16 by 20 prints from prosumer level flatbed scanners, then by all means spring for the Epson or spring for the Microtech. Mm -hmm. But that's the first point. Don't ever think you're going to get, oh man, I got my, my flatbed scanner, I don't need drum scans. That's just not true. You know, well, people, what, and some people think that. Wouldn't you say the application for a drum scan is, I don't know, if you're doing a layout for a billboard or for a fashion company, like a mag if you're printing a magazine, like it's, what is, like, like... Most people who get drum scans want to enlarge the maximum quality enlargement and print from their original piece of film so they can sell it. Oh, gotcha. You know, they, they, they mat their prints, they sell them, they go to art shows, they go to galleries, uh, they have maybe an eBay store, you know. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, it's sort of like you can get, if I were to kind of quantify the scale with a really good, I mean, the new, the new, the new breeds of Epsons are amazing. Yes. I mean, they're truly, truly amazing machines. You can get like 80% of the way there with it. Yes. If you want 100% of the way there, then hire a, a drum scanner to do it. But, well, but I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I just hate when people are deceived because a lot of these manufacturers of flatbed scanners tell people, oh, it, it's, it's, it's drum scan quality, and it truly is not. But it's, it's close. But I mean, you can get close to it. I'm not even tapping into the full potential of the Epson V700. For example, you, you know, you choose the DPI, mm -hmm. you know, 24, I usually use 2400 DPI. So you should use. But there's, you can go much higher than that. But that's my second point. Yes. That when you hear these numbers on these flatbed scanners and they say, oh, it isn't 2450, it's 3000, oh, it's 4000. You have to ask yourself two questions. Number one, is that sort of interpolated resolution that the algorithm in the program does for you? And, and it probably is because the optical resolution of the lenses in those things mm. is not going to exceed 2400 DPI or pixels per inch. It won't. It isn't. It isn't a good enough lens. But doesn't it scan? I notice when I the higher I go, the slower it scans. True, and it's scanning that. But my point is, it, the lens. The, the lens is <laughs> the lens is not an autofocus lens. It's just a a lens that's stopped down to a small aperture so that the piece of film that sits in the film holder is within the depth of field. 
You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. It isn't. It doesn't focus like a. If you get a Nikon Cool Scan scanner, the lens actually has a little motor in it that focuses on that piece of film. When you buy those flatbed scanners, it does not focus on it. It's just a lens, a fixed focal length lens, a fixed focus lens, which has a small enough aperture that hopefully, when you put the film in the holder, it's going to be in focus. So my point is, it's not the the most ideal arrangement for nuancing every piece of detail out of the piece of film. So you know, I, I most people agree that the resolution maxes out at about 2400 dpi. No. Well, what is the difference between scanning on let's say an Epson V700 and scanning on a Nikon cool scan? Like is it Nikon cool scan is for 35 millimeter. Oh. The beauty of the flatbed scanners in the Epson line is the fact that they handle all film formats, some of them up to like 8x10. Yes. So if you're shooting if you're shooting two and a quarter film, you know, 122, uh-huh. 20, 6 by 4.5, 6 by 6 up to 6 by 9, 4 by 5 sheet film, 5 by 7 sheet film, even 8 by 10 sheet film, those things will accommodate that. And I, I've I regularly scan 4 by 5 sheet film on an old Epson 2450, and I get amazing results with it. I'm, so, I'm astounded at the results. So that's a, a what do you call it, a flatbed? It's a flatbed. So you're I so, bought it for like 300 bucks. So people listening shouldn't like trip out over the whole drum scan thing. Like they should be no. relax and like the, the flatbed. You're pleased with it. I'm pleased with it. It puts out a great. I'm pleased with my V700. I can enlarge up to 11 by 14, even a little bit larger, with um, a two and a quarter or four by five sheet film, and it looks amazing. Wouldn't you say if someone wants to get one a, a piece of film drum scanned? Isn't gonna isn't it gonna cost about fifty U.S. dollars per scan? If you if you're sending it to a service bureau that does a really really good job like Bruce Watson at Achromatic Arts or West Coast Imaging in California, yeah, it's fifty bucks a pop. Wow. But I mean, my point is, like I said, if you're selling your prints, right? You, you know, you just it's just a write off. If you're someone that's just doing it for the the joy of of doing it, or you're making your own prints for the heck of it, or you're putting them on the web, then it's overkill. I would agree. But I, I pointed that out because I don't want people to to be deceived into buying a flatbed scanner thinking that it's the ultimate of the ultimate because it's not. But it's good. It is, you know, it is. They are pretty good though. It's so difficult to make a choice to make an investment in a scanner when, in fact, I mean, the best is to, you know, use it and see if it suits your needs, if you're happy with it. Uh, I happen to, whenever I'm going to buy something, whether I buy it from Amazon.com or not. I always look up that model on Amazon because the user reviews are for for technical stuff for for hardware is always uh, priceless because people who buy it and use it then go up and post their own review of how it performed, mm-hmm. what its drawbacks are, you know, uh, what doesn't work, what features don't work very well. I always find that you know. Uh, invaluable information to actually get feedback from someone who actually used the hardware. When you when you scan with your Epson, do you use digital ICE on it or not? I do not. I don't think you should. I, I think not. it's I think it softens the results. I found that because because when you buy a scanner, <laughs> I guess that's a selling point. It comes with all those bells and whistles, whatever I call it, what is it? Digital ICE. Yeah. It comes with all these like little software plugins and it's other... supposed to remove scratches and dust, and it and it supposedly does, but it, it's just recog- it's a it's an algorithm in the program that recognizes anomalies. Yes. And what it'll also do is it will also wipe out detail in the negative that's supposed to be there. Like it can't, it isn't smart. It can't distinguish whether well, that's right. a scratch or that's a vein in a leaf on a tree. It can't do that. Yes. So my point is, if you really want to get every single piece of detail, turn that off and just spot it yourself. I. Uh... 
use the bare bones. I use the Epson software that came with it, which gives you you have three modes. You have like uh, home mode, which is like it just scans it, no no questions asked. You know, it just does it. Homes. Homes. <laughs> and it's like a medium. And then it's like pro. And in pro, it just gives you a lot of drops down and a lot of choices to make. Mm-hmm. And I use pro because I get to use all these choices. And these are choices such as sharpening, uh, choices such as color correction, uh, choices such as a backlight button. And I can tell you, well, because I'm a Photoshop user, and I know that I could do those same simple adjustments in something like Photoshop, I usually just uh, take a pass on using any of those functions. A, the sharpening tool, I see no reason why to... If I have to use it, sometimes I use it on low. Well, you just do a scan with sharpening, and then do a scan without sharpening. Open up both windows in Photoshop. Zoom each one of them to 100%. See what's going on. See what's going on. Same thing with the backlight function or the color correction. I don't feel comfortable using the one-button color correction in a scanning software when, in fact, I could bring it into Photoshop uh, and do color correction. For example, a great example, I shot... I shot some 120 ectochrome film. Here's one drawback for buying used film on eBay. It seems like a lot of users on eBay, almost especially for Kodachrome, they all say, frozen. I mean, I'd say 99% of the people selling film on eBay used, used, you know, expired. They said that it was frozen? Yes. 1% probably is full of it, full of beans, as they say. Because so you, you sometimes use the film and it's shot? Well, I found that 1%. I used a roll of Ektachrome 160T tungsten film, and I shot it in my Yashica A camera right here in outside the studio. It was uh, for a box cover design. And, um, the Aaron Russ photo? No, it was not Aaron Russ. You haven't seen them. They're so brand new. Anyhow, I get the film back. I sent it to Dwayne's. I get the film back. It's positive film. <laughs> I look at it. The film's purple. Really? Yeah, I mean, the U to the film was I don't even want to say magenta because it's so purple. So here I'm looking at it, you know, I'm holding it up to a window when I get, you know, to an actual window, looking it up against light. I'm like, oh man, this film is shot. Like ectochrome film, like the the U is just weird. So I put it in the Epson V700. I scan it at about uh, 2400 DPI. I do not choose the color correct button. And I brought it into Photoshop, and I can tell you that it, it was a bear, B-E-A-R, <laughs> like an Arr! So you have to be careful when you buy film because some of it might not have been frozen. Some of it was probably stored Honestly, in the glove box of a car in Phoenix. To, to, for a film to come back that purple, I mean, it had, the, the film had to be traumatized somewhere. You know, So the problem with that film in, in the Epson V700 was I scanned it as is with the purple magenta U. I brought it into Photoshop and really tried for like an hour to color correct one frame just to check it out. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It was like once I pu- pulled out the magenta, mm-hmm. first of all, it was like, I, I don't know where purple, purple I guess somewhere between what, magenta and blue? Like I, I couldn't, I had a difficult time equalizing purple. And then once I did... It seemed like it sucked all the color right out. Look, it was really trouble. But here's, I don't think, I don't think there was anything, I mean, I don't think there was any saving of this film. You know what I mean? Like, like the Epson or any scanner you have, I mean, it's not, it's with all these things that, all these plugins that it comes with, like ICE, 
you know, when you read the instructions or see the sticker on the outside box, they make these software plugins sound like they're like miracle workers. Well, that's, you know, that's that's what, that's one of the reasons why I brought up the uh, the drum scan thing. Oh, you know, buy this scanner. And it's like, no, it's not. I mean, it, there is no magic bullet. Right. They're just tools and they, and they work or they don't. Yeah. Or you like them or they don't. Or they're too hard to use or they're not. And, you know, you just kind of choose, pick and choose what you think is useful for you. And uh, don't, don't get, you know. Yeah. They'll get a Prozac prescription over it. <laughs> Do you ever wet mount? I mean, the the, the pro level, I believe it's the V750 Epson yes. has a wet mount station. Now, have you ever tried that? Sometimes things in photography, I mean, I've mentioned this before, scare me. <laughs> For example, <laughs> now, even when transferring, you know, I work in film. I, I, I shoot 16 millimeter film. There's also something known as a wet gate transfer. So I, I did notice when I was looking to buy the, the scanner, I did not buy the wet mount. Can you please explain what happens? Is it like a car wash? You put your film in, <laughs> like a jet of water comes out. Is it going to flood my desk? It's going to flood your desk. What, what is it? To, and it comes with a couple little brushes that, that swirl around. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can they make And there's a kid there that comes with it who really doesn't want to be there. He really wants to be working at a golf course. Can't they manufacture like an E6 processor to the top of the scanner so you could process your film, then it goes through the wet gate right into your scanner? Do you remember when I said you were talking well, what's a drum scan and I said it's a cylindrical device yes. where the piece of film is oil mounted onto yes. the cylinder? Yes. Well, what Epson came up with the bright idea that well, if we make a wet mounting station, it will be in its usage and how you use it much more akin to a drum scanner. And I guess they felt that including some sort of wet mount option with their scanner would, again, make it seem like you're using a drum scanner. And uh, the only real benefit is the fact that, you know, the piece of film is now, there's an adhesion quality to any kind of fluid and it sticks to whatever it is you're, you're mounting it to, whether it's a piece of glass or acrylic. So the film is held flatter. Oh, okay. Okay. It's water. And, and it, well, it's probably cami fluid. Oh. I mean, you can use water, but there's, there's certain mounting fluids. The, the most popular one is manufactured by a company called Cami, and it, I don't know what it's made of. It sounds it, messy. It is real messy. I've never tried it, but anything I've read about – well, I have tried it, actually. I tried it before it was you know just by mounting it on my old 2450. And uh, – you know, it also eliminates Newton's ring. Oh, you might get Newton's ring. That's the point of it. I got Newton's ring. Yeah, that's a pain. First of all, I used the Google. The Google. I came up with the variety. Oh, here's how I got the Newton's rings. I'll be very quick. I decided I wanted to scan a piece of film. And sometimes sometimes I shoot 35 millimeter in 120 cameras so that I shoot the entire negative, including the sprockets. Mm-hmm. Sprockets. Yes, sprockets. Sprockets. On this episode of Sprockets We Dance. It would be funny if when we said Sprockets, like John actually just appeared. John like, is not here today. Like in a puff of smoke with, with one kid on each hand. He's just like, Sprockets! Sprockets. This is one of his kids like, Sprocket? Daddy? Daddy Sprocket? So I decided I wanted to scan the entire... We're not as jovial today because John isn't here. Uh, John brightens things up. Yeah, he sure does. But I think it's one of these letters. It's like, hey, you guys, you know, you're not very, you know, I'm glad you're not like all academic. <laughs> that one time you were like, welcome to the Film Photography Podcast. Today, Podcast. today we're going to be talking about wet gate mounting, scanning, scanning, and giving away a Canon AE-1. The RMS gradularity factor of corner going 25 with the retrograde 64 <laughs> motion and the magic of the ratchet property field in the way of it. <laughs> So I wanted to scan sprockets. Yeah, I wanted to scan those entire sprockets. So for, the first thing I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? Because 
it's really difficult. I have to take 35 millimeter, and the V700 comes with a plastic. By the way, the plastic is made like crap. Make like a plastic uh, holder for 120. So I tape 35 millimeter to one side with um, paper tape. You know, tape that's not going to f up your film. And I stretch it. You know, it's not stretch it, but I bring it to the half. Tape. I, I make it so it's very tight. But it's very time consuming, and sometimes you know your patients run a little thin. So I'm like, you know, screw this. I'm like, I put the film directly on the glass. I got a, I got a frame, mm-hmm. you know, a frame, a picture frame. I took the glass out of the picture frame. You didn't wet mount it. You just slapped, you just slapped that film on the glass. I did. I put the another piece of glass on top of it to keep it flat, and I scanned it because the, in the Epson it gives you an option of using film holder mm-hmm. or non-film holder, which means right on the glass. And that's when I discovered Newton's rings. Oh, they are just... They, so, they mock me. It took me 15 minutes to find out what... I, I, I didn't recall at the time, but once I did a little research on the web, I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Newton's rings. Isaac Newton came up with that. Really? Yeah. It has to do some super scientific reason. Well, it's the difference of the index and refraction of light yeah. between glass and film. And for those of you who took a course in physics in high school, you know what that is. I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, it's that light, rays of light bend differently when they go from yeah. glass to something else that isn't glass. And what happens is optically, <laughs> you just get these rings. They just look I've like s- little circles of density, like little tree rings yeah. almost, right? Yeah. I've yeah. seen plenty of pictures posted on Flickr with Newton's rings. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, God bless the person who posted this <laughs> because they just don't give an F. They just don't give an F or they didn't notice it. They just don't care. Or they think it's cool. Hey, look at that. Exactly. So I did some further research. I hate Newton's rings. And for like, listen to this, for like 100 US dollars, I can get a piece of non-Newton ring glass. You know, it's a specialty item. Yeah, it is. And again, it's like what they did was they came up with a glass that the index of refraction of it equals that of, I guess, the plastic and the base of film so that you don't get that the light bending differently to make those rings. And uh, I'm not an optical physicist. I know I sound like one, yeah. but... And uh, what you talking about? So the wet mount, let me go back to the wet mount. You're trying to tell me that the V700, it comes with... Is it? Does it come with an adapter or a tray that it's you a pour tra- the liquid in? I think it's a little tray, and it's a piece of... Uh, I think it's non, uh, non-Newton ring glass or acrylic. And then you, uh, I guess you can hinge the piece of film uh, with some sort of tape... You know, just so that it, it can put it kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like a, it swings up and swings down. Mm-hmm. You just hinge it with a piece of tape. And uh, you, you you literally spray that fluid <laughs> on the film and on the glass. And you gently bring the film in contact with that glass or acrylic. And you, you scan it <laughs> and you got a mess. How do you get your, how do you clean your film? I, I, I'm not going to do it. I don't do it. Okay. Uh, to, me, it's like, there? to me, it's like, why, what is the point? I mean, if you're going to go to all this trouble, just... Pay it, spend the fifty bucks. Spend the fifty bucks. <laughs> I mean, spend the fifty freaking dollars. I mean, you know, I'm gonna wet mount my thirty-five millimeter film. <laughs> I just picture this spray, and you're breathing it in, and it's ruining your scanner, and it's got to you got to well, clean it up. If anyone out there has some experience with this Epson or any other wet, you know, what do you call it? Wet. The Epson Pro flatbed scanner wet mounting wet mounting. Station. Please send us an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know, like, how you doing it? Yeah, you know what? I I did not look on YouTube search to see if there's. There probably is. Yeah, you know, we talked about lamography before. I I will tell you this YouTube 
is something special. These kids with their YouTubes. I I typed in Lamography. The BBC did a a special on Lamography, a, B, a BBC program. Today on Lamography, we're talking to the UK's leading Lamographers. <laughs> and it was on YouTube. It's like in nine parts. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But it was fascinating because the the Lomo Society or the the, the Lomographic Factory Royal in the Royal Royal Lomographic Society of London on episode there one. There is one. There is a the etymology of the word Lomo. In St. Petersburg, the factory, their Lomo is a knockoff of a Chinese camera. What what town did St. Petersburg used to be? Was it? Uh, oh, uh, St. Petersburg. It's called something different now, right? It's called St. Petersburg now. Oh, oh, Stalingrad. Was it Leningrad or Stalingrad? I'm going to guess Leningrad because I watched the special and that sounds it's right. It's the city that the, the Nazis had the big the big war, the big big battle for. That okay. Was Stalingrad? I feel embarrassed because I watched this. I should have been a little fresher on this this uh, documentary. Yes, but yes, type in should. Lomography. You will see BBC special on Lomography. It's a fascinating program. Told you about the two guys. Gosh, I, guys, I wish I knew your names. Two guys who started the whole Lomo. They started it in England? Or was it started here? I want to say that they were in Brussels. Belgium? Yes. Get out of here. I think so. And they petitioned. They went to Russia to petition them to start up the Lomo factory. Was Jean-Claude Van Damme in it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that film where he plays himself? No. I've seen clips of it, and i got to get it because it looks... looks... Got to get it. Got to get it. What's good about it? It's called... LCVD. That's great. No, JCVD. Yeah, it's 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 just it's it's so fresh that he's not playing characters, playing himself. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just a he, lot of fun. He looks beat up too. He does now. He looks beat up. Do you think he shoots lamography? I think he uh, shoots a lot of stuff. <laughs> this 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 is fascinating. Anyhow, check it out. Lamography special, BBC, and uh, B- now- BBC E six. <laughs> E6. C41. <laughs> so, what else about scanning, Dwayne? Stallone, Schwarzenegger, C41. <laughs> scanning. So, um, you can't go wrong if you buy one of these Epsons. That's my point. Changed my life. You know, they're so easy to use. You can get into it, as much into it as you want to, with sharpening and color right. correction and curves. And there's different kinds of software. There's Silverfast. There's Epson... I think the Epson v, I think the <laughs> I think the Epson V700 came with it did a limited edition Photoshop like Photoshop LE LE it was, you, you cannot beat this now grant, granted it's 500 US dollars and that's a lot of coin for a lot of people uh, but they're really well made and they last a long long time yeah and even when you get like if using no matter whether it's a Mac or you're using a uh, uh, a PC. They're pretty good with downloading upgrades. Scan, oh, really? Software upgrades. I do have an older 2450, and I just upgraded my computer to uh, Windows Vista. <laughs> and it, it, I got a. It's been a pain. I feel sorry scanner. for you. Why? Windows Vista. They've discontinued it already. I know they got to get seven now. Yeah. I I've asked Crazy. myself in this last year of Kodachrome processing. Or you may ask me, well, why, Mike, in like just the last two years are you st- have you started shooting Kodachrome? And the very simple answer is this for actually any Chrome film. I had absolutely no idea how to get to scan it. Mm-hmm. Zero. Uh, it, buying a scanner has changed my life. 
and give me total control. And now I can make much freer decisions on what film stock I want to shoot. And if you buy a dedicated film scanner, the quality is so good it will blow you away. Oh, I would agree. Also, like, sca- like a Nikon's Cool Scan? Yes. Oh, oh my God, they're so good. Uh, it was a little pricey for me. They're real pricey. Yeah, I was a little, you know, maybe the next step, you know, maybe some other day. You got to have a couple, you got to have like 12, 13 yeah, I think bucks. I say, you need a couple of drinks before yeah, you buy that. A couple of drinks before you buy one of those things. Okay. A few people I know, a few friends of mine, uh, don't have a scanner, and they're relying on uh, CVS or Dwayne's. Oh, no. And here's the thing, or Clark Color Labs. What? It's, it's a crapshoot. Crapshoot! No, seriously. I like, it's, cause there's, I some, sent... there's some kid up. Op- well, the whole the, the machines, they're profiled for just, you know, just some average parameter hoping that it's going to you know, get everything the same sometimes or, or it's, it's automated and it's, you know, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they yeah, suck. Exactly. There's just crazy. There's no, there's no operator who's sitting there looking at every single frame, tweaking it for you. Whereas when you have your own scanner, that's exactly what you do. And for C41 processing, C41, 35 millimeter, you know, I've been sending everything through the mail and, and for Clark color labs, by the way, Clark color labs, I think it's ClarkColor.com. Incredibly cheap. Now, you will get some scratches on your necks. <laughs> but if you just... <laughs> you are... Negatives back. They a little bit of ranch will lightly scratch. Look, I'm, not, I'm just... One out of five rolls will be scratched. But sometimes I'm shooting stuff in the office here. You know, we have our, our Pop Pizza Friday. Sometimes I don't care. Like, I, I don't even care. You know, if it comes back a little scratch, great. Add some character to it. But other stuff, I sent to Dwayne's photo, and they do a wonderful job processing. And other times, I go to Target, and you can go to Target or CVS, and they will process your negs. But you're talking about operator, right? Operator error. When I go to Target with my 35mm film, I have to go on a certain day when I know a certain guy is there. Is Ted here today? Exactly. And I kid you not, I shot my friend Pete Jackalone's band. I don't know band. Yeah, the Dirty Blondes. I think it's dirtyblondesrockandroll.com. I, I, you know, I, I remember that night. It was in a bar. I was sweating. You know, it wasn't like I really took it very serious. I shot three rolls of film, two rolls of film, two rolls of 35 millimeter print film. I remember getting up early on a Sunday morning, rushing to Target to get the film processed so I can get the negatives back to scan them so that I could upload the photos that night. How exciting, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's when I encountered the Target. I'm sorry, we've you know. Your, your, your negatives have been disintegrated. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have no record of your film ever having been here. I'm sorry. You know, Mr. Rasso, we have a – you may want to sit down for this. <laughs> we have some bad – we have some good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is your film is disintegrated, and the good news is you have a, a Target gift card for a dollar. The, the worst part was the woman that was telling me, and behind the woman was the operator, and oh. he was literally a kid. And what was he? Did he, did he like a kid? He character? had like a smirk on his face. Like, oh, I, I wanted to reach past her, and like, now you see, these days after 9/11 here in the U.S., if you're a customer and you're right, and you happen to get a little angry, there's no right anymore. They just cart you away. Like if I got a little angry or agitated. They, they, you will not have. They will not have that anymore. Because no, you might lift up your shirt and there might be a vest with dynamite in it. Yeah, you, so you, they want you. They spirit you out of the store. You can't really get angry in stores, and please don't do it on a bus. Wherever you are on a bus, like let's say you're from New York City to here in Butler, 
wherever you are, if you give that driver a little attitude, I've seen it. I've seen it. The bus driver just stops the bus and he's just like, get out. So post 9-11 here in the U.S., it's a little rough. It's a little rough on those uh, on those of us who are irate and like to have our temper tantrums. So, but if Target's going to melt your film negatives, I think I actually I, I what I did was I contained my rage. <laughs> you know, I handled it very well. I took my dollar coupon. <laughs> actually, they gave me thirty five dollars in what they call apology notes. <laughs> apology note. Yes. Thirty five dollars in coupons. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not bad, but I could not recapture that night. No, of, I don't think any. I mean, what if you had? Uh, for something really super important. I think about wedding photographers, and you can't tell me that a wedding photographer, I'm sure it's happened many times where they shoot an entire wedding, they give that batch of film to a certain lab, and that doofus who's running the processing that particular day, let's say it's a new guy, I always mean guy, girl, or guy, could be a girl, the new girl. Imagine being a wedding photographer and the whole batch is ruined. Like, what do you do ruined. besides, like, Kill yourself. Well, if you're a professional wedding photographer, I think you have it in a contract. Oh. A, a writer describing if that happens, and it's just like, you know, I'll compensate. Usually, they compensate you for the money that you've put in as a down payment, and they say, you know, you will get together. I'll pay for the tuxedo rental, and we'll just shoot pictures in a park somewhere. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. They re they stage stuff. They stage it. And how hokey is that? Can you imagine like? Looking at the what people, you know, they've been married for 20 years and they get a divorce and they just blame it. You know, the whole it all started on the day of our wedding <laughs> yep. when none of the pictures came out. And so there's a guy at the at the there's a guy at the Target here on, on Route 23 and I guess it's Riverdale, New Jersey. Uh, Alex. So now you know, I I go to Alex. Like, like I, I shot Pete's band again, mm -hmm. and I went in. and I saw this guy. I'm like, oh, this is the guy. This the stage it. You go to a park and get. <laughs> no, get, no, get he, he played at the same pub. Like here it is months later. I went into the Target. I took a chance. I saw the guy. His name was Alex. I saw him. I'm like, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy who doesn't ruin film. And then after the processing, I picked it up. He was there. The processing came out fine. And I'm like, dude, what's your name? I'm like, when do you work? He's like, oh, I work Wednesday, Thursday. I'm like, okay, great. And does your schedule change? He's like, nope, that's my schedule. So that is when I'm going to when I'm going to bring my film. And I, I hate to say it to everyone out there, but if you're going to CVS or any convenience store, these people operating the the film processing don't know anything. Now, Alex, who um, I can tell he doesn't know anything about photography, but at least how, he knows how to do his job and not to expose my film. But you're, it's really a crapshoot if you're going to bring it to just that's, – that's why I send it to Dwayne's and wait 10 days because that's what they do. And I feel comfortable bringing it there. The great thing about Target is – and many other places will do this process only. They'll process a roll of 35-millimeter negative. Give me just the negatives processed for 95 cents. Oh, that's it. That's incredible, that's right? A, that, that's all you want. You know? I mean it's nothing wrong. That's like – Nothing wrong with it. That's what you want. I don't want the prints. So many places they shove the prints down your throat. Gotta buy the prints. Right. Well, you, got, you gotta have the prints. <laughs> right. But I think... Uh, Everybody goes for the prints. Right. Three sets at least. One roll of film, $47. Right, quickly, I want to take a quick uh, a break, a sponsor break. This is a, a break for Greg Dumont. He is our webmaster. And he gives us his time to actually help me load the podcast to iTunes. 
Uh, he, he designed our film photography podcast website. And Greg has a site called KillerReviews.com. And if you're into like movies, uh, B-movies, uh, movies, movies like Avatar, movies like Creepshow, uh, for example... His podcast, KillerReviews.com, if you go there, there's a button that says Podcasts, and you can click on a button that said, the last podcast was uh, here in February, uh, Creepshow Commentary Track. Hmm. So you can, he and his friends, as he says, he guzzles beer, and they do a commentary track to a movie, and then he posts it on the site. So I guess for humor purposes, you can (laughs) listen to Greg Dumont's Commentary for George Romero's Creep Show. This is great. <laughs> and uh, recently he had, sure, sure, Dwayne stepping out to get some water, and I'll keep blabbing. Recently he had on Stephen Romano. Stephen Romano created the book Shock Festival, and recently that book was turned into a DVD, which actually I happen to produce. It's called. Stephen Romano's Shock Festival DVD. It's available on Amazon.com here in the U.S. And it is a trailer, Grindhouse trailer compilation. And Greg Dumont, KillerReviews.com, had Stephen as a guest on his uh, February podcast. So please do check out KillerReviews.com. Greg is very kind to us here at the Film Photography Podcast. And all the listeners of Film Photography Podcast, do me a personal favor. Go to www.killerreviews.com and just take a gander at Greg's site. And let's prove to Greg that we care and we love him because he's so kind to us at the Film Photography Podcast. Let's give him some hits. Give him a hit. So so we just reconfigure our studio, so the layout right now is kind of weird. So you actually had to walk through two people's offices to get that water. Were nope. they, no, they're not there? No, they're there, but I, ha- I got to look at Rachel Robbins. On a, uh, on a monitor. On a monitor, and she's so cute, so it was yeah. worth it. Yes, she is. But when you just walked in, were people like shocked to see you? Yeah, like, what are you doing here? It's like a train caboose, right? Oh, my walk God. Through a, it's like walking through it's a It's exactly what it's like. We're going to have our own entrance soon. Like, this should be a dining car. It's like a dining car. Our next letter, many fans have said to us, hey, you know, your film photography podcast, I wish you'd do it every week. I would tell you that to do it every you week. You guys rock! It would probably kill me to do it every week. It's a lot of work. After the podcast, I am drained. Are you really? Yeah, I feel exhausted after. I need a nap. Really? I'm a sleepy person anyway. But our podcast, I think this will be probably be a two and a half hour podcast. Today? Yeah. We're already at an hour 30. I love doing this. We love it. I love, I love photography. I've been doing it since 1968 when I was 10 years old. Well, then you're going to read this next letter from Jeffrey Glass. Jeffrey Glass. I responded to his email, then he responded back. The last page says he recommends checking out Alan Chin's interview on Inside Analog Photo Radio. Wow. Yeah. I I have not checked this out yet, but I want to let everyone know out there that apparently there's something called Analog, Inside Analog Photo Radio, and I guess you could use the Google to... And I guess it must be something like this. It's a podcast. Yes. And uh, am I reading this whole letter? Yeah, well, as much as you like. It's from Jeffrey. What does Jeffrey have to say? Hey, guys. I'm really enjoying your podcast. Great mix of information, film love, and humor. There's nothing quite like discussing KR64 with references to Pauly Walnuts. <laughs> there he is. You hungry, T? You want to send the kid for my Jeff Fresh? 
Bada bing! Hey, you know, forget about it. By the way, everyone should know that Dwayne and I are here on the east coast of the United States, about 30 minutes outside of New York City, and about 20 minutes from what I call Sopranos land. Maybe you should subtitle your podcast Goombas on Film or something like that. <laughs> Probably that's insulting, but I'm just a dumbass Texan. Please freaking excuse me. By the way, do you know, te- I heard some rumor that Texas wants to, like, once again secede from the United States and become their own country. Do you blame them? Do you hear that if you Do you blame them? But the thing I've, about... Have you ever been to Texas? No. I've been to, uh, I've been to certain parts of Texas. Well, I used to work for Radio Shack. And the first actual job I ever had that was long-term was for the shack. Is that right? I worked in computer repair, yeah. Very nice. And they're out of Fort Worth. And it was sort of like the the, the joke that we were in Middlesex, New Jersey, and the joke was, I'm going to Fort Worth for like training. I'm going to be entering a different world. Because they were so... They were so Texan. Like if people wore business meetings, they wore like cowboy hats. <laughs> they're they not. Did. They're not Americans. They're Texans. They're Texans. Yes. They, they really think that the world revolved. They're as bad as as America. You know, Amer- You know, like if you're from another country, you know, you probably think that Americans think that you know basically the world revolves around America. It's not true. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But Texans is double. They, they think the world revolves around Texas. No offense, guys. I mean, you guys are calling it Scoombas, so... Best you know. TV show ever? Dallas. <laughs> but it's a wonderful place, right? Now, Bob, you're going to be out there playing football. We're here, we're here, you and oil, we're building a business. So you're saying business meetings? The guys who wore, like, like cowboy hats and stuff and <laughs> cowboy boots, they were like suits and cowboy boots. They would, in cowboy hats. And I saw photos. They would come, they'd go to Fort Worth and they'd come back... With photos, and there's a guy like in a suit with a tie and a cowboy hat and freaking cowboy boots on. <laughs> and I thought that was, that's awesome. Right. You know, that you're so into being a Texan that you that's how you dress. I don't know if it's still like that. That was like 20 years ago. Well, we're far from Texas. Well, Jeffrey sent us a letter. Is it still like that? We're I'm, here smack in the middle of uh, Godfather country. <laughs> I'm an obsessed amateur, and I shoot film almost exclusively, mostly black and white, but I'm shooting Kodachrome quite a bit this year for some reason. I shoot 35mm on old crappy cameras and a couple of excellent ones, medium format, and recently got a Holga, a Fuji Instax, Fujiroid, and a Polaroid 350 land camera that shoots Fuji pack film and hopefully new Polaroid soon. Check out the Impossible Project for information on reborn Polaroid film. Some of my work is at my newish flog. List linked here and below in my signature. And I want to talk about a, a Polaroid Ansel Adams book in a few minutes. One thing you guys discuss from time to time <laughs> is the fact that pro photographers have switched by and large to digital. Sure, it's true mostly, but it's also true and bears repeating that a great number of pros continue to shoot film or have returned to it to one degree or another. This includes some commercial ad photogs still shooting 4x5, mainly fine art photogs shooting all formats, and a surprising number of wedding and portrait photographers. A number of links to Filmophiles are at the end of this message. Maybe you could post the links on your site and or check out some of them and or talk about them on your podcast or even interview some of them. Us film users need to cross-fertilize each other and promote film as much as possible so we don't lose a come to Texas barbecue. He, uh, he, he enclosed a bunch. Of, I haven't gotten a these lot links, of links, but a lot of links. I really, really appreciate him sending us those links. Also, I also listened to a bunch of photography podcasts, including yours, and there are others dedicated to film, filmwasters.com, which to me is the British equivalent of your podcast. That's funny, filmwasters.com. And Inside Analog Photo Radio, which is a great resource for interviews with film-based, real-life pro photographers, highly recommended, a bit technical at times, but unequaled in the commitment to film. 
both available on iTunes and Da Google. Da Google. Wow. And, and he has a bunch of links. And also, you know, it's funny, and this is just talking about uh, New Jersey and people's perce- perception of New Jersey. It's slowly being the Sopranos is slowly being supplanted by uh, Jersey Shore, the MTV show. Oh, Have you seen your, that show? But I heard a lot. I haven't seen. I heard a lot about it. But Sopranos probably has uh, better penetration worldwide. I think. I think. It, oh, I don't know how what the reach of MTV is worldwide. I don't know the reach of MTV, but but the thing of it is, I mean, as a photographer, I shoot a lot of swimwear and bikini photography, yes. and I use the Jersey Shore frequently because there's there's some really incredible light there, and believe it or not, there is occasionally some days when the water off the Jersey Shore is even blue. Oh. Not gray? Rarely, you know, not a gray, gluish, bluish, <laughs> greenish, brownish, murky, you know, medical waste floating up on shore. But some days it actually is nice. And uh, I use the towns of like Belmar and Asbury Park and occasionally Seaside Heights and Seaside Park. And that's where this show comes from. And those guys that are there in those houses, they're all from New York. You go to the Jersey Shore during the summer, you know, four to five cars have New York plates. Those people aren't from Jersey. They're nice kids. It's Paulie from Staten Island, you know, and it's a situation. He's a good kid from Bronx. Those, there's, they're, no, they're not really Jersey people. But, you know, they people. That's just my two cents. Well, the Jersey Shore is uh, kind of derogatory against Italian American. Well, it paints the picture that you know, like Sopranos. Hey, yeah, forget yeah. about it. All these guys do is they get up in the morning and they work out with weights and they go do some laundry and they spike the hair and they go out and they try to get laid. <laughs> you know. What we got next? That's it. So thank you so much, Jeffrey Glass from Texas. And uh, he doesn't say we're in Texas. Where's he from? Dear Michael, Dwayne, and John. This is from Anton Abramson. Dear Michael, Dwayne, and John. I enjoy the show and I appreciate the sense of humor you guys have. Too many online communities are either snobbish or technically <laughs> oriented. Please, Anton. So it's nice to have a little fun centered on the art. I got my start in 35mm film photography only three months after getting a digital SLR because I wanted a camera that would have more permanence and not be worthless in a few years. So I purchased the Nikon F4s. <laughs> almost immediately the number of keepers increased because I was taking more time with each shot I have found that I prefer a slower and more contemplative approach which is easy to forget when a digital is in the hand that's true, you just fire away a thousand <laughs> I next purchased a Holga 120N because a friend was getting married and I wanted to give them a really cheap present now I wanted to give them some shots <laughs> that his wedding photographer could not duplicate that is true though, the Holga would give a very different look yeah. Yeah. So I started playing around with that a few months and loved the square format. Thus began my love affair with 120. Today I shoot mostly 120 on older 1950 cameras like the Adox because I think they give a look and feel that modern lenses shy away from. If you are interested, here's my film f- camera collection minus a Certo 6. It was in the repair shop that has gotten out of hand, and he gives his link, which is too long for me to read. I went to that page, and I saw that in his collection of cameras, he has a Bell and Howell 28mm point-and-shoot camera, and they're constantly on eBay for very, very inexpensive prices. And I was going to ask him, uh, Anton, what kind of results have you gotten from that camera? I I had my, my finger on the trigger to purchased that on ebay and i just stopped myself because i'm just 
I'm becoming like uh, compulsive crazy here. I mean, how many cameras can I test in the course of 30 days? Not So I didn't buy it. But you bought it. What kind of image are you yielding out of that? I have, uh, Dwayne, I have a camera that's called a Vivitar. We talked about this. Ultra wide and slim. Ultra wide and slim. Ultra wide and slim. Ultra wide and slim. And then I, they don't make it anymore. So that a competitor, uh, Superheads. Ultra slim and wide. Superheads now makes these. Superheads? Superheads. S-U-P-E-R-H-E-A-D-Z. Superheads. They make the Black Devil. Black Devil, but Superheads. Which is a knockoff of the Ultra Wide. Is it really? Yeah, it's a knockoff. It's manufactured today or was it? It's manufactured now, yeah. Oh. The, the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim... Actually, it's in that bag. You want to grab it so you can see the quality of it? I think it's in the gray bag right there. I want you to see what the quality of... of uh, Is in the front pouch, yes. This? Yeah. Dwayne has in his hand the Vivitar... Oh, don't drop it. The ultra-wide and slim. What is this, coming to Cracker Jack box? <laughs> What do you think the value of that is? What do you mean by the value? Like, like what do you the, think that costs? To, to make? No, to sell. Oh my God! I would say this can't exceed thirty bucks. It was fifty dollars. Sometimes it goes up to fifty. Sometimes it goes up to a hundred dollars on eBay. Oh come on! It's got a. What does it say on the lens? Is it twenty-two millimeter? This one has an extremely wide lens. F equals twenty-two millimeter ultra wide. Vivo crap lens. <laughs> it's a 22 millimeter lens. It puts out a really kind of cool picture, Dwayne. Does it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. So I, I kind of know, you know, I was curious of the Bell and Howell, which uh, Anton has, if it's similar. I know it's not going to be as wide because it's 28 millimeter, but a lot of kids are carrying that camera or the Superheads, Black Devil around. And it really fits in the kind of the whole Lomo, kind of like just shoot from the hip. You can put it in your pocket, but just do not drop that. And also, <laughs> people have been complaining that to rewind the film is that it's at mm-hmm. the bottom that people it just breaks. I could see that. It's, yeah, it's very it's very uh, flimsy, flimsy and cheapish. Yeah, but it's a stylish look. It's a good looking camera. It's a good looking camera, and it's a lot of fun to shoot with. You pick up women with it. Good looking women in Texas. I put a roll of. Uh, KR64 in there, which is Kodachrome 64. You shot Kodachrome in this thing? I And a lot of photographers are shooting that. It, cre- it creates a very intense flare. So a lot of shooters are shooting directly into the sun. <laughs> just, you know, don't even – let's just make flare. Right, exactly. Let's Seriously. not reduce the flare. Let's not even worry about it. Let's, let's, let's create even more flare. So I brought it to New York City, and I shot a bunch of buildings, including the Empire State Building. I put them on Model Mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Well, <laughs> silhouette. So all the buildings in silhouette, and the sky is bright with a little flare coming off a building because the sun was directly in, in front of the lens. It puts out a very interesting image. It really does. So that's the point of lomography is to just um, lomography. Yeah, yeah. Buying older cameras and using them in a fun way and uh, seeing how their look differs from other ones. Uh, there is a site. <laughs> There is this, well, I want Anton. Thank you very much. I checked out your images, Anton, and I have to tell you that I really loved your shots, especially the, uh, on Flickr. You have a, a shot called Untitled Scan 06, 
and I, I put I wrote down some notes here because I don't have it in front of me, and I can tell you that that shot scared the hell out of me. <laughs> it's a shot of a mannequin in the window. Mm-hmm. It's like something right out of like, like uh, where's that movie where like the creature crawls out of the TV set? What was that called? Like The Grudge? Oh, oh those... The Ring. Oh my God! This is mannequin. It's in a window, and the mannequin is like its its mouth is like wide open. It's just like screaming. It's like. <laughs> and I'm looking at your picture, Anton. And I'm like, oh my God! It like put ch- it put chills down my spine. Model Mayhem is a site uh, to to uh, pho- photograph models. Models go on it. Photographers, makeup people, uh, and uh, I have a model Model Mayhem account. As is Dwayne. Dwayne is a model photographer. I'm really not. I occasionally shoot a model. Um, so I started the account and I said to Dwayne, "Why don't? Why am I not? No one's communicating with me." You know, no one is. You know, models are not contacting me saying, "Oh, you know, can you shoot me on this date?" Yada yada. Nothing. Zero zip. And then, like, well, he's like, well, do you have any pictures up? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, the pictures I have up are of are... buildings. <laughs> <laughs> he has picked on a model website. He has pictures of architecture. Of architecture. I said, Mike, you know, it isn't architecture mayhem. It's model, it's model mayhem. mayhem. Yeah. So, would you like to see some of my? May I give myself a plug? Uh, please do, Dwayne. If you'd like to see some of my model photography and some of the women I've worked with over the years, and you want to go to my Model Mayhem page, it is www.modelmayhem.com backslash curvy sexy hot. It, it's, it's, it's G-rated, right? It's G, very G-rated. Good, good. I stole that from the title of a book. What's it called? Um, the book. It was Sexy Curvy's Hot something. Oh, okay. I kind of just... Wasn't creative enough to come up with my own title. Or my name is Dwayne Palku, D-U-A-N-E-P-O-L-C-O-U. You could just enter that in the search engine. Google. Google it. Giggle it. Let's uh, go another letter, then we'll talk about your book. Not your book, but your book of the month. I wish I did that book. Okay, one more letter. This is a letter from uh, Shipra. Shipra? Yes. And um, I don't know if if it's a he or a she. Is it an Indian name? S-H-I-P-R-A, Shipra. I don't know. Last name, C-H-A-U-H-A-N. Chauhan. I don't know. I don't don't, don't either. We don't know. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter, but I can tell you. We'll just say it's Tony DeAngelis. Yeah, hey, Tony. (laughs) We can tell you. And it could be Tony, T-O-N-Y-O-T-O-N-I. True. Hey, Tony. But I can tell you that uh, Sheep is from Hoboken, New Jersey. Really? Yeah. Uh, And this person says that, love your podcast. And this is kind of nice. It's a Sunday morning ritual for me once every month. And it just paints a nice picture for me. Sunday morning. In Hoboken. Coffee brewing. And in Hoboken, a nice big picture window. Maybe a cat on the windowsill. The, co- the coffee is being poured. It's Sunday morning. And this person tunes into our podcast. That is very That is very nice. It is very, very nice. Uh, you mentioned in your last episode that you'd be giving away free film, and I'm writing to you to try my luck. Well, you don't need to try your luck for free film. I am going to send it out to you. Uh, No problemo. I work full-time as a fashion merchandiser, but what I truly love is photographing and writing. What interests me most as of now is street photography. Awesome. I love street photography. Do you know who Gary Winogrand is? I don't know who. (laughs) 
God! <laughs> Come on! Who? Who is Gary? Gary Winogrand is one of the most... Um, his name is Gary Winogrand. And he kind of the person... I don't want to say he invented street photography in the United States because some people think Henri Cartier-Bresson uh, kind of really invented that genre. But he's the guy in the United States that was his counterpart. And he'd say, if you don't go out and expose a roll of film a day before noon, you're not a photographer. That's what he said. For real. For real, yeah. That's kind of unfair because not everyone's a street photographer. True. But he used to do that. He used to go out every single day with a roll of film and just shoot. And he has, And he passed away. I think he was penniless, and he just had someone said, you know, you went into his apartment in New York, and there was just, you know, it's like some people, you know, they had this this problem, they just collect hoarders. Hoarders. He would have boxes and crates of negative. Un, he, he said he had like two thousand rolls of unprocessed film. He had like thousands of rolls of film that weren't sleeved. Thousands of rolls of film that were not contact printed. I mean, every he, day. He's famous photographer. Gary Winogrand, yeah, he's pretty so famous. He published estate, books. He actually did his estate like archive all that stuff, or did he just throw it in a dumpster? I don't know, but I mean, he was a he was well known during his time, like in the fifties and sixties. I can tell you that uh, street photography. I could see where did he live? I think I believe New York City. If you live in New York City or any major city in the world, you can go out in the morning before twelve noon and shoot something. If you live in suburban New Jersey. I can tell you that I've tried to go out in the morning to shoot every morning. Do you know how many times I've exposed the town hall in Pequannock, New Jersey? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even trying to be funny. It's true. It's like I have so many shots of Pequannock Town Hall that, like, um, you know, there's nothing to shoot. For, New York City is wonderful to shoot. It's it's every block is different. Every block is different, and there's always interesting people. There was an old guy on Ninth Avenue once. And he's wearing, like, you swear, he's, like, right out of, like, 1960. Like, he's wearing the outfit, 1960, the hat, older guy, and he had, like, two slices of pizza stacked on each other, and he was, like, eating it. And, like, I saw the perfect shot unfold in front of my eye, and I did not have my camera. You know, so New York City is great for street photography. Um, Shepra, please tell, please just film photography podcast at gmail.com. Please let me know if we murdered your name. Like, you know, is that do we get this pronunciation correct? But um, uh, I, I don't know if this is a woman or a man. So this person, <laughs> this person uh, loves to photograph New York City its people and also posts stories on my blog, which is http colon forward slash forward slash bigapplejuice.wordpress.com. And I made a little note here. I said... I went to it. I love it. It's great street photography. Great. Currently, I am only able to post once a week and honestly not hopeful that I can change the frequency much given my work and other activity schedule. I'm photographing every chance I can get, and that's all I'm aiming to do. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Last year, I started with film photography for the first time. Could not, could not spend much, so bought myself a Diana F, and I'm uh, enjoying it immensely. Simply love it. Also need to get used to its freedoms. Love it. I <laughs> I have added a few Lomo shots to the podcast group pool on Flickr. That's us, Dwayne. If you ever find the time to look up. My name in Flickr is The Juicer. <laughs> Thank you for writing. I was going to go to the website, but this 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 uh, this uh, computer is so antiquated, I don't want to 
ruin our uh, recording. Um, thanks, thanks a lot for the free film offer. Look forward to the next podcast and wish you guys the best. It feels like the most fun conversation I will ever get to eavesdrop on. Well, that's you know what that's feels like the first time. <laughs> feels like the very first time. Ever see a foreigner lately? Foreigner is still together. Last year they put out like this is like the new trend now. Journey did it as well. They put out a new album, but it, it's a greatest hits re-recording of their hits with like a few new songs. Really? Yeah. Is Journey are they they keeping it together? I'm sorry. Is a uh, Foreigner keeping it together? They or? got a new singer because the the other guy completely blew his voice out. I mean, oh. it's so you know. And he sounds amazingly like the guy, but I saw a concert footage of them in Germany. Yes. And by the end of the show, he looked like, please, dear God, <laughs> let this show end. I, I can't even breathe. Because yes. it's so high. But I saw, then I saw Getty Lee in Rush recently in, a, in that concert footage, and he sounds amazing. Yes. Most songs are high up. Here in the U.S., uh, the uh, American football, it's called the Super Bowl. The Who played the halftime I didn't show. See it. Did, you, did you see it? I didn't see it, but I've got a few emails from some people saying, oh, please. Well, Roger Daltrey is 65 years old now. Is he really? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So, you know, for rock and rollers, that's, that's you know, it's, it's getting up there. By the way, I see posts on, on, I saw one on Flickr, and I saw one elsewhere, nothing to do with photography. Once again, here in the U.S., people in the U.S. are posting blogs about the Super Bowl, or on Flickr talking about, the Super Bowl, and they talk as it as if the world knows what the heck they're talking about. Please, Americans, you know it's called the WWW for a reason. The World Wide Web. True. So if you're on the World Wide Web, please take some consideration to at least give a one sentence explanation in brackets. You know, Super Bowl, U.S. football's biggest game. Like just 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 give a nice one sentence explanation. The Super Bowl is the greatest day of the greatest sport in the greatest country that everyone envies. Just, just you know, no. That's what these people think. think. I didn't even, I didn't even watch the Super Bowl. People in other countries seriously do not know what the Super Bowl is. They don't know. They do not know. It's U.S. football, which I am not a fan of, by the way. It is also the at this past Super Bowl. This, you know, this. This past Super Bowl, this January 2010, was the highest-rated television show in the United States history, surpassing the last episode of *Mash* and *The Simpsons*. Yes. So the Super Bowl is is hot stuff around here, and I can tell you, everyone out there that's not in the U.S., Super Bowl, NFL, National Football League merchandising, hats, uh, tote bags, jackets. I mean, people here. Or just wild about football. There was a, there's a, I forget the guy's name, but it's a British. Um, he's, uh, he does a, a telecast about travel and visiting different places in England. And he came and, and he brought his taxi cab from England, his little car, and he drove around the United States. And then he taped his different experiences in different cities. And he went to an American football game. And it was like Tulane. <laughs> it was Tulane versus Auburn. And he goes, and in America, in the fall, this is – I can't do a British accent. Because it's uh, this is just you know, two average mid-sized colleges. And, and this is the extent 
that they celebrate football. And he goes into a stadium and it's like 90,000 people and each one of them has the marching band that comes out and then they have like a guy on horseback, the mascot, and then they had jets. They had fighter jets flying over. And he goes, you know, only, this is so expensive. And he kept saying, this is just so expensive. All these people, it's so expensive. And they give F, fighter jets are flying overhead and he couldn't believe, he couldn't fathom that this was like a college thing. Wow. People love football. People love football. Which as uh, they used to say on Saturday Night Live, uh, football is soccer to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, uh, Dwayne, you want to talk about, first of all, let me tell everyone out there listening. We're we're digressing. We're digressing, but I can tell you that no way. I'm looking at the stack of letters I have. I'm like, just looking, I'm like, no way. It's so many letters, I can't believe it. I'm like, it. no way. Like, there's no way we're going to get through all these letters. One, it, one more quick one? Well, let's do one more quick one before you talk about the book of the month. Book of the month, and we got to give something away. We're doing the drawing today? How about, yeah, absolutely. How about we both read two letters at the same time? Okay. And we split the audio track, like channel one. Has, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. What is this? Who? Yeah. Alex Quillar, or Queller. It's C-U-E-L-L-A-R. Finally, someone from recent from Jersey. He's from Beaumont, California. I just wanted to say I recently discovered your podcast and think it is awesome. My name is Alex Quillar. I'm 20 and live in Beaumont, California near Palm Springs. I started getting interested in film around the age of 17 when my school got a black and white photo class, though my quality is still just as bad. I always said I would never go to digital when I eventually bought a DSLR. I sold it within six months. I started getting into medium format photography a few months back. I have a Bronica ETRS, but would like to get an SQA so I can shoot at 6x6 instead of 6x4.5. Digital could never match the feeling I get with film. The process and work involved makes it that more meaningful. I have a Flickr account, but I don't have a scanner yet, so all I have uploaded is some junky digital stuff. Ooh, no. Junky digital junky, stuff. D- junky. I should be getting my income tax check soon, and the day I get it, I'm ordering a one. I'm ordering one. On the latest podcast, you talked about how you would send out some film samples if we were interested. If you send me some, I will definitely have a scanner by then, and we'll have them uploaded. Well, the podcast is great, and it's nice to hear about all the other people out there who are still keeping film alive. Thanks for the podcast, and keep doing what you're doing, and send me some film, damn it. No, he doesn't say that. I have so much film that I'm happy to send you film. He has a fridge full of it. Who oh, I do. You do. It's got to end, guys and girls. So I'm going to send some film out. Thank you for writing, Alex. Yeah, if you, anyone out there listening, uh, I realize that some of this, these, these, pod, these podcasts will be archived. So if it's well past February 2010, I may not still be giving film away, but you can give it a shot by sending me an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. And if you're sending me a request for some free film, Please do include your mailing address uh, so that I could send it out to you. So, how about one more letter? You read it because it's so. I love reading letters. Dense. There's oh. so many letters. Oh my God! This is from New Zealand. I am a fan of uh, kiwis. Fl- <laughs> hey, come on! I am a fan of Flight of the Concords. Do you know what that is? Is it a movie? No, it's a TV show on HBO. It's a New Zealand uh, duo. They're comedians, and they also play musical instruments, and many of their songs are funny. I did not know that. Yes, and they're uh, the two seasons on the HBO home box office here on cable television in the U.S., and they're from New Zealand. Well, Jason, <laughs> we have a lot of Jasons today. 
Jason. Hello from New Zealand. I heard the January podcast and would love to put the Canon AE-1 to good use. Well, that's good. I've just moved back to little New Zealand, having living in... I've just, I've just moved back to little New Zealand after having lived in Tokyo for four years. I've just started a wedding and portrait photography business and shot our first wedding back here in New Zealand last week. I'll put some of those photos in the group later this month when all the scans come back from the lab. I'm shooting medium format and 35 millimeter and no digital. Wow, that's pretty cool for wedding photography. Seriously. That's, that's bold. I'm sure wedding photographers have completely ditched film by now, correct? Yes, yes. History. Except for these companies that specialize in it. Because there are some people now that, that they want their images at the end of the day. Absolutely. And they bring with them one of those uh, portable printers. And they just take the, uh, the card out of the camera. They insert it in the printer. And the proofs are printed on site. Wow. I'm shooting on Fuji Pro 400H <coughs> and 800Z for color. And Ilford. JZ. Z. And Ilford and Neopan for black and white. I have a blog, which can be found at my signature below. Check it out. It's Jason, and he is at www.stclair, that's S-T-C-L-A-I-R, dash, photography.com, forward slash, blog. And he's the guy from New Zealand. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I thought I saw some wedding photography in the pool. On our uh, film photography Flickr group, and if if, if I recall, the uh, images were quite good. You know who's from New Zealand? Who? Sir Edmund Hillary. Who's that? He was the first person to summit Mount Everest. Oh, I believe he was from New Zealand. Wow, I did not know that. I'm, I'm trying to barrel through the letters before we get anywhere else because we just have so. Many letters. We have to we have to talk about the book briefly, and we have to give this. Don't we have to do the drawing? Yeah, but that's the last thing you want to do to keep Here. it riveted. Here we. <laughs> you people just give away the camera already. Uh, real quick, from Dan O'Rourke. Dan says. Dano like Dano from Hawaii Five O. Yep. Dan O'Rourke. Dan O'Rourke. Dan O'Rourke or Dan O'Rourke? Well, it looks like it's written Dan O'Rourke. Okay. But we can call him Dano. Book him, Dano. Dan says, your podcast is good. No, honestly, it's good. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this. Your podcast is good. Hawaii Five O. No, honestly, it's good. Good. I'd like to enter the contest for camera on behalf of my pregnant wife. No, honestly, she's pregnant. That's what he says. I'm in Nova Scotia, Canada. You guys Ooh. should come by for a visit. See, I love Nova, Nova Scotia, man. Now, that I like. I'll tell you what else I like about doing the podcast is I'm meeting people through Flickr and the podcast from all over the world. Although Dano is the first guy to actually invite us. you got to be careful, Dano. We might show we up. We might just show up. Hey, Dano. We'll be like, hey, what's for dinner? What do you hey, got? Hey, Dano. You got any cannolis? Got any cannolis? What's with this fish? <laughs> uh, if I were <laughs> to go to Nova Scotia, Canada, I would definitely stop in. I've never been to Nova Scotia. And visit your child. By that time, their child will be born. But I've seen pictures of Gromorn National okay. Park okay. in Nova Scotia. And it, they're actually fjords. People think fjords are in Norway exclusively. But they're in Alaska, and they're also in Nova Scotia. Right. And it, they're so photogenic. They're so beautiful. Dano so, says uh, that he is transitioning from digital to film and that his business, it's a, we it's a wedding photography business, is 100% film. He says, crazy, huh? 
crazy. <laughs> People in Nova Scotia, they're crazy. <laughs> Can you uh, sustain a wedding photography business in Nova Scotia? Oh, I guess Halifax is a big city, right? Is that right? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say that, uh, you know, shooting film in 15 years' time, I know that I'll have both my negatives and the scans of my negatives to look back on. With digital images, I find that photos get buried in folders and subfolders. Uh, we've brought this up in the past. Yes, one of the, one of the joys of, of shooting film is that it's easy to archive. You know that as a material that it's stable. And if and this sounds pessimistic, but you know, sooner or later somebody's going to try to get some kind of a smart bomb, <laughs> and just going to just blast the world with whatever kind of gamma rays it's going to do. And you know, it's a fair amount of electromagnetic media is going to get wiped out. And I can tell you from personal experience, thank oh, you, Dwayne, for that uplifting... Hopefully, well, you know, including with that will be people's tax returns that they wish Every they... Every person I know that has a family that takes digital pictures, first of all, you know, digital pictures, as you know, it's just like, like crazy the machine amount gun, of yeah. machine gun photography, and their computer is just loaded with their images and I always ask, you know, because I'm I'm kind of organized. I'm like, well, you know, do you, you know, do you do any prints? Do you have it organized? I ask questions. Do you, do you have your stuff archived on a hard drive? And nothing. No, no. Like people, if, that, if their computer crashes, they're gonna have to, you know, figure out a way to get their their their, uh, you know, data. Well, it's becoming an industry, like to management. Management and and the threat. Of your hard drive being wiped out, so people, what will you do when your hard drive wipes out and all those precious images are lost? So you know, you sell people on different backup solutions. Backup solutions, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but uh, Dan, I'm with you 100%. I really appreciate having the film negative. I really feel like I have an asset that, Dan, I, that I actually own something, that I have something, and uh, I am very skeptical of uh, digital technology, even though. I have uh, CD-ROMs from 1995 of archived work that I did here for, at Alternative Cinema that still works just fine. So, uh, how is uh, the middle of March for paying a visit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, Dan says if he wins the camera, he's giving it to his wife with some Tri-X uh, so she can start shooting. He says keep up the good work. If you ever decide to have guests. Give me a ring. Oh, he wants to come visit us here in New Jersey. Well, it's a 10-hour drive to Maine. Oh, no, no. He says I'd love to Skype in. What's Skype mean? It's a, it's a, it's a uh, online service that allows someone to call into your show without us putting a microphone next to the phone like we've done. Oh. No, you got to come here in person. Yeah. We are having a lot of fun. And thank you, Dan. And on that note, Dwayne, why don't you tell us about your book of the month? Book of the month. Book of the month. Wow. Book of the month. Book of the month. It's Dwayne's book of the month. We've been. To I'm a collector, an avid collector of photography books, bordering on an obsession. Is that right? For real? Oh, yeah. How I many books do you have? A couple of hundred. But they're expensive. I mean, they're like really expensive and or rare photography books did you buy them new or do you buy them used i've bought them new uh but now since you know we have eBay. the bay uh it's a great resource for um for just entering in a photographer's name entering in the name of a publishing company entering in a subject matter plus the word books and seeing what the search engine yields and we were talking uh 
a couple weeks ago about Polaroid. Yes, we were. Now, most people know who Ansel Adams is. If you do not know who Ansel Adams is, um, he was a photographer who was born in 1902 and died in 1984 and is known for his sweeping vistas of the American landscape in black and white. And here in the States, he's quite famous. You go to frame stores, you go to uh, a lot of different places that sell posters. Much of the work that's for sale are images by him. His most famous image being Moonrise over Hernandez in New Mexico. So I'm sure if you Google Ansel Adams, you'll see a lot of his work. A lot of people don't know that although he worked with film and large format view cameras, 4x5, 8x10. He also was very close with Edwin Land. Now, Edwin Land I know. is the man who yeah. invented Polaroid. Yes. And early cameras in the 60s that, that used Polaroid were called Polaroid Land, Land cameras. Camera. As a kid, I thought that yes. meant you couldn't take it in the ocean. Me too. I it's a land it. camera. I guess I can't go on a boat. <laughs> and I literally, if I was 10 years old, I, I can't take it to the beach. The but land camera. It was invented by Edwin Land. And Ansel Adams was a very good friend of Edwin Land. And he was instrumental in doing some of the initial tests with Polaroid to see if it had professional and commercial potential. And what he did was he produced a book called Ansel Adams' Singular Images. And uh, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It's very, very rare. Uh, it's from the 1970s. And when I, when I saw it, I was just giddy like a schoolgirl because one of my favorite photographers in the West Coast is a guy named John Sexton. And he said, oh, my favorite Ansel Adams book is called Ansel Adams Singular Images. And they're black and white shots that he took with a Polaroid camera or a Polaroid back. Oh, my goodness. On on, on a 4x5 view camera. And he produced either – this book is scans from those very small uh, Polaroid prints or there's scans from enlargements made from Polaroid positive negative film, that film being um, a type of material where you pull apart the film and you get a positive print and you get a negative which you clear in a sulfite solution. It's the same as any other negative. You could then... Uh, Who's that? Uh, there's some people in this book. Some people in this book, yes. He did some portraits and he also did some landscapes. Oh, your port- and, yeah. And he did some enlargements from those negatives and they did scans from those negatives. But it's, uh, it's so interesting to see, you know... They're called singular images because when you produce a Polaroid print, it's one image. That's yes. it. It's a, it truly is a singular image. It is a singular entity. It's a singular work of art. And uh, he, he loved using Polaroid, and he did a lot of uh, work with it in the 60s and 70s. He wrote a Polaroid manual. And this book is, is what he considered to be some of his finest black and white work. And uh, there, it's really – so if you see it on eBay – or you see in a library someplace, definitely, if you're interested in Polaroid, if you like black and white landscape work, if you like American photographers, if you like Ansel Adams, give it a look. Or, you know, I only bought it, I, I don't think the person knew what they had, I only bought it for like 10 bucks. But I it's think, a very rare book, but it's worth getting, if you like Polaroid, it's, it's worth giving a look. I think that uh, most people, like, well, myself, I think, <laughs> I think when I think of Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. I always think of the photographer that would shoot with a 8x10 negative. See, I would never think of Ansel Adams as being a Polaroid photographer. Precisely, and, and he was. He, he even wrote a book called The Ansel Adams Polaroid Manual. Did he, did he shoot on many different formats? He shot on every single format you can imagine. Wow, that's fascinating. He shot a very little amount of 35 millimeter, but he did that. He shot with the, uh, he was a consultant to Victor Hasselblad 
I'm a two and a quarter Hasselblad in the in the 1970s. He shot in four by five, five by seven, eight by ten inch view cameras. Most of his work that people recognize was during his most prolific period in the 1940s. Most of which was shot um, with an eight by ten. So people normally associate that as work. They think all oh, was exclusively done on that, but no, he did all kinds of stuff. All kinds of he did color work. There's a, there are a couple of books out called Ansel Adams in Color. And, and, and you're saying he shot Kodachrome as well. He shot Kodachrome as well. And he has a lot of books out. Ansel Adams probably in his lifetime produced something like 60 books. Wow. An unprecedented volume of, of books published of his work. Is there anything published about his life? Uh, yes, there's one called An Autobiography, which oh. I have. I'll bring that in sometime. And Mary Allender, who was, I believe, his executive assistant, uh, wrote a book, a, a biography. It was after he passed away in 84, which was... Um, um, uh, by uh, a book about her personal observations of, of what it was like to work with him. So he has there's a couple books about him in his life. Wow, it's fascinating. Fascinating guy. And you can find books on Ansel Adams on eBay.com. Once a week, I just enter Ansel Adams books into eBay and see what I get. Wow. How often do you purchase? Um, depends on my cash flow. I like to get maybe a book a month. Right. Do you have them stored on a shelf somewhere nice? I have them stored in boxes really neatly. Like some of them are rare. Yes. Some of them are like, you know, old Sierra Club books from the 1960s that are very, very difficult. I mean, I, I got one called Elliot Porter, The Place No One Knew, Glen Canyon on the Colorado River, which was color photography of a, a beautiful canyon in Utah before it was dammed. Right. And I, I literally looked for that for 20 years. And would I mean, you it took me forever to find it. So that's right. packaged like it's a collectible. But some of them I just buy because I want to look at it. I mean, you know. Right. Just And just, these images in this book, what uh, decade would you say they're from? I think, well, Polaroid probably really became mostly marketable in the 60s. So he probably shot this in the 60s and 70s. And I believe this book was published in 1975. Yeah, 1974. So this is probably from... The images themselves were probably produced between the 60s and 70s, and the book was published in 74. Wow. I think that uh, it's very encouraging to look at the book. I, I, I glanced at the book. Dwayne handed it over here, and uh, it's encouraging because, you know, I'm very judgmental of my images, and many of the images I, I make, a tree, a bench, a but, park bench, I, I, I tag as cliche. But it's not. I mean, no, it really isn't. You look in here. I mean, how many pictures of trees are in here? I mean, lots. You know, lots. You know, and like it's an old car. Well, yeah, so what? Tree, a road, another tree, another barn. But he did it so skillfully. And uh, the way he manipulated polar materials in terms of getting a, a grayscale that was really pleasing and smooth. Right. You know, makes it a work of art. So it isn't what you shoot. It's how you shoot it. That's my credo. It's how you shoot it. And, um, you know, I guess I always try to put some context to... The image of, of you know a backstory, mm-hmm. you know in that particular book there isn't really it's really just the images against white. Yeah, which it, is what I like. Oh, you do. You like to make up your own backstory. Well, you know there's there's text included with these books and you can read that and get an idea of what he was trying to achieve. Yeah. But I mean, as far as just looking at them, I just want to look at the picture. Hmm. But that's me. Yeah. We like to have like a big big paragraph next to a photo. I do. I do. When I when I look at if I'm just perusing Flickr.com and looking at images, I know there could be an argument for looking at an image, a striking image, with nothing written, 
because then it's up to your mind to kind of come up mm -hmm. with your own conclusions of what it is and what it is. But most of the time, even if it, you know, even if it is a very striking image, I really find it interesting and I think it gives a lot of depth to the image when the photographer writes a paragraph about anything about what that image means what it, what it is where was it shot I always want to know where is it shot I always want to know what it was shot with and I mostly perused the film photography uh, threads on Flickr so you know I know it was shot on film but many times I don't know what it was shot on, and I really like to know. So I, I, I do like the backstory with an image. You, 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 you could see the flip side to that. Well, it, suppose you're looking at an image and you don't know what it is. Mm. I think it's just natural to look at the thing and maybe even get annoyed. Like, what, what, am, <laughs> what am I looking at? What is it? Right. I think it's, it's a normal reaction. And then if all of a sudden somebody says... Oh, that's a window pane, and it's raining, and it's out of. You go, oh, yeah. So having some sort of backstory definitely right. aids with your comprehension, and that can, I think, increase your enjoyment of it. There's a very famous photographer called Brett Weston. He was the son of Edward Weston, who's a contemporary of Ansel Adams, a West Coast photographer here in the in the United States, out of California, and he never titled any of his images. Never. He oh. he would have a gallery show, and he wouldn't even put a word next to it. I mean, you had to walk in there and just like. What is it? And I kind of, you know, I would find that a, a little bit. So the curator, sort of like uh, Peter Gabriel, uh, his solo albums were all called Peter Gabriel. Did he title the songs? The record company would title the the album. They would, you know, Peter Gabriel. I don't know what they call. It. They would they would come up with a name and put a sticker on the outside to just, you know, separate each album from each other. That's crazy to me. Well, isn't the same thing with the gallery? With I think it's crazy. I bet you the, the gallery uh, owner, I bet you they gave a number to that. They did. They gave a Roman numeral to make it look classy. Oh, okay. Okay. And a date, like, you know, IX1979, something like right, that, to give right. like a little little level of identification. But, you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't tell where it was shot. I mean, what's the most basic thing? You give it a, a location. Yes. yes. A Quantic Town Hall. How hard is that? Well, Dwayne, uh, thanks for picking, uh, you know, thanks for the book of the month. You're quite welcome. That's awesome. And here we are at <laughs> two hours and 20 minutes in. Are you serious? Yeah, I swear to God. I swear to God. So we unfortunately have to go very, very soon, and I'll tell you why. It's my Aunt Linda's birthday, and I need to get down to Lynnhurst, New Jersey. Hey, forget about it. Lynnhurst? Yeah. In the center, the what do you call the epicenter of Sopranos Land. That is, that is, that is Sopranos Land. Ground zero. zero. It's like... Five minutes from uh, Giant Stadium, where Jimmy Hoffa is supposedly buried. And uh, look, it's right near Lookers. It isn't too far from. Uh, is Lookers Bada Bing's? Where's Bada Bing's? Uh, Lindhurst is about uh, 15 minutes from Bada Bing. Bada Bing is on Route 17 in like Woodridge or something, between Paramus and Lindhurst. But what's the real name of the bar in real life? Satin Dolls. Satin Dolls, that's it. Yeah. yeah. The, you you the, been there? No. The club in Sopranos, the Bada Bing. Is uh, really we, the actual club exists? It's an actual strip club. It's on Route 17 and we call them strip clubs. We're strippers. Yeah, strip in New Jersey, somewhere between Lindhurst and Paramus, and it's called Satin Dolls. And no, I've never been there. Actually, I take that back. Maybe 20 years ago, some bachelor party was there. I attended. So I've been in the Bing. Although I, I don't know, if but I've never had a lap dance. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're going to give away. Ugh. 
we have a main prize and a, a second prize. The main prize being the Canon AE-1 package, which is the camera, a 50-millimeter lens, a, I don't have it in front of me, a zoom lens, but is up on the site, and I, is there a wide-angle lens in there? There you go. I want to shake that up. Should I do the honors? Well, shake it up for a second. I'm holding a box. We've got all the uh, the slips inside, which represent all the people who have entered. And we're going to have our lovely spokesmodel, Cheryl, come in here. A 28-millimeter lens. Cheryl, come on in here. A zoom, no, Cheryl. A zoom lens. Yes. <laughs> oh, you want me to reach in the box? Okay. There's no Cheryl. There's here. no Stop. Cheryl here. And also the manuals, which is... You have manuals, too. Yeah, I have the manuals. I also will tell you that the lucky winner is a brand new battery. I put a brand new battery in there. And I, I ran like two, three rolls. I, I've tested this camera. This is exciting because I, I want everyone to win. So do I, and I, I just feel like bad for people that don't win. Yeah, but I mean, someone's got to win, right? You, you want me to draw it? Who no, should do it? You should draw it. All right. Oh, God. <laughs> this is very thrilling for us, everyone. Oh my God! Dwayne has a winner. I have a winner. Who is the winner? The winner is Jason from New Zealand. Oh my God! Oh my God! Jason from New Zealand. <laughs> That's gonna cost a lot in shipping. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You're right. It's on the other side of the world. Well, Jason. Yeah, that's good. That's terrific. That's terrific. Shake that box up. We have a second prize. Oh, we do? Oh, yeah. We have a Canon FTB. That's right. Which is nothing to laugh at. This is an awesome camera, the, the uh, Canon FTB. Rebecca Darren from Edmonds, Washington. Wow. Congratulations, Congratulations, Rebecca. our winners. Jason from New Zealand. And Rebecca Darren from Edmonds, Washington. Wow. That is really special. And uh, I just want to thank, really thank everyone for entering. Oh, here's Rebecca. I got a letter from Rebecca. It's about time that someone put together a podcast for film photographers. I find and shoot with classic and vintage cameras. Wow. Well, I think, uh, Rebecca, that you will love this camera. Uh, I'm also into alternative forms of photography. The only reason I bought a digital camera was because I asked to be the photographer at my niece's wedding a couple of years ago. Until Rebecca, then, please photograph our wedding. Until, <laughs> until then, I was a purist and only shot film. Thanks for being out there. You have found yourself a loyal listener. Well, Rebecca, you now own a Canon FTB, a vintage Canon camera. It's awesome. It's got a great lens on it. I've tested it. Enjoy it. And uh, Jason in New Zealand... Uh, enjoy the Canon AE-1 package. It's really awesome. And how are the customs people in New Zealand? What? How are the customs people in New Zealand? I, I was speaking offline to uh, <laughs> to uh, uh, Dwayne about the fact that, you know... I hope, hope nobody in Italy wins. Italy. Because... I was like, I oh, hope, hope no one in Italy wins. And I also mentioned the Philippines is also a tough spot. Uh, Alternative Cinema is a DVD company, and we ship all over the world here. And there are some spots in the in the world where it's just it's tough to ship. Stuff gets hung up. Customs sometimes customs. I, I joke that customs would be winning the new camera because whoever whoever it passed through would just take it home. I just, I just like some guy in a room. For those of you who did not win, 
I will tell you that we will have more opportunities in the future. And we're giving away next month a car. <laughs> Imagine shipping that to New Zealand. It's a Toyota. Oh, firstly, the rules are the unwritten rules of winning are this. Once you win, you need to like sit it out for like six months. Don't be greedy. <laughs> yeah, you need to, to sit it out for a while. Um, next month, uh, we are giving away uh, a 1954 Agfa Clack. I am here to tell you this is a good-looking camera. I've got the clack. I've got the I've got the Alpha clack. The ca- the clack actually was made fun of in a very loving way on the Lomography.com. The the camera is acknowledged by the Lomography Society, and their site says uh, it says the Agfa clack, your tubby little friend. Why? Well, why tubby? The camera is an interesting design. It's a curvature to it that. First of all, the, the Agfa clack produces a 6x9 negative or transparency, whatever you choose to, to use. It uses 120 film. It produces a monster negative. It's a big negative. It's a very simple camera. I will include some handwritten instructions. There are two f-stops on it, which are known as exposure values, which, by the way, I knew nothing about a few months ago. EV. Some of these Kodak brownies I've been using... Like they have buttons that change the aperture, mm-hmm. and it said EV15, EV16. Right. So I'm like, to myself, I'm like, I just want to know what the f-stop is. But because the shutter speed is fixed, those settings, f-stops, are known as exposure value because it's a fixed shutter. So I typed an exposure value into the Google. The Google. The Google. And, and lo and behold, a exposure value chart came up. And then you go to on one side of the chart to your shutter speed, which in the case of the Agfa clack, I believe it's about 1 30th of a second, I think. i got to check. And then you, you trace over on the chart to the exposure value, let's say 13. And then you go up the chart, and it tells you what the f-stop is. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's sort of like a multiplication table. Photography is math, and I'm horrible at math. Horrible. Hey, you know, uh, if we did not read your letter on the show, and I may have said in the return email to you that we were going to read your letter on the show, it's because that we uh, just ran out of time. I mean, when I saw the stack of letters, I was a little worried from the get-go. I mean, we don't want the show to be just letters. No. No. And we're two and a half hours in, a record podcast marathon. Podcast marathon! (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And... um, um, we're just gonna save the. We're just gonna save this batch of letters, and it's quite a, quite a bunch. If you want to write more letters, please. You know, we you, we can't get to all of them, but yeah, we're gonna try. Yeah, we're to try. I mean, don't stop sending us letters. I also was gonna talk about what's going on in our group, the Film Photography Podcast group on Flickr. If you go to if you go to Flickr.com and you type in Film Photography Podcast, uh, search groups, and we'll come right up. And uh, some of the topics in the Film Photography Podcast group as of today in February were, these are the topics. I just picked up, which is a thread talking about what camera you just picked up. Your regular shooter, a thread about, you know, what when everyone grabs for their camera, what do you regularly shoot with? Recently found you guys. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who recently found us. And does a thread about, you know, hey, you know, uh, I found you guys. That's great when people just stumble. Just stumbled across you. Yep. What happened to photography programs in universities? Gone! 
<laughs> Christopher Lang uh, started that thread. You know, I think it depends where you are and what school you are in, because I think that many colleges still have the basic black and white course. I don't know about that. Oh, I have to tell you, I don't know either. I mean, you know, if you go to RIT or something like Brooks in California, yeah. But... Film versus digital and how it affects the way we shoot is a topic. And C41. E6, C41B there. C41 home processing, which, you know, I haven't even gotten to caffeinol yet. That's That's processing your film with coffee. <laughs> Do not drink your developer. That sounds like a Sunday morning. You know, like you're having a cup of coffee, and then like you drink half, then you just pour it into a film tank. You know, there was <laughs> there was a, there was a thread about a guy who <laughs> I don't know. I don't, maybe I saw this on Flickr. You know how you need uh, some vitamin C? Yeah. In your you need, he, he like, experimented with using orange juice instead. Orange juice. I just <laughs> eat breakfast <laughs> and process a film in the leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> I mix some eggs, toast, a bagel. I get an image. He felt is this? I think the exorbic the exorbic acid is used as a. I don't remember. Exorbic? It's fixing. It's exorbic acid. It's exorbic. It's a ascorbic. I think the hydrochloric hydrochloric. I'm getting tired. The hydrochloric crullers. The hydrochloric <laughs> the hydrochloric acid that the that target melted my film in. You know, Mr. Rasta, we're sorry about your film. We had target, but we used orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> and Starbucks, and just yeah, we got nothing. Hey, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Really, it's, it's I tell you, it's a real, real joy. And I didn't even go over the list of the the inexpensive cameras I bought on eBay this month, but I, I promise next month I'll go down a little list. But listen, go to the eBay. You we know, have a photo book away too. Photo book. We should buy photo books and eat them. <laughs> I'll like tiptoe into like uh, uh, Dwayne's house and just like take one off the shelf. Who's downstairs? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, there are so well. First of all, eBay's in every country. Every just about just about every country has their own version of eBay. Mm-hmm. You know, at the bottom of a listing, you'll say, you know, also from these international sellers. There are so many inexpensive 120 and 35 millimeter cameras on eBay that that you know I save up my shekels and I you know like the Lubitel feed that monkey on your back exactly and it's I tell you even though I have my gripes with the Lubitel I've, it's it has been my my grab camera because it's cheap it's light and I'm not afraid of dropping it or losing it like it's just you know. And when people come up to me and say, hey, what kind of camera is that? It sounds really cool to say Lubitel. It does. Hi, I'm Ted Lubitel. It does. As a matter of fact, I was at Pete Jackalone's uh, band. What? What do they do? They play out. They, they, <laughs> what kind of music do they play? Uh, like, um, like uh, I would call it like rock and roll, like uh, New Jersey rock. Like just like. Like, like Johnny, I mean like uh, Johnny, what's his name? Johnny Rotten. No, no, they'll. Uh, it's outside Johnny Asbury Jukes. No, they're like uh, they're called the Dirty Blonde Band, and they play like what's that? Uh, like that's a Pete Seeger, Bob Seeger, Pete Seeger, Pete Seeger. <laughs> they play also a lot of Heart. Heart uh, was a great band because there are two women in the group. Oh, that's why they call the Dirty. The dirty blondes. So uh, Christy, who's in the in the group, and I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid to say gorgeous. I mean, these women are gorgeous. They're single. I think they're ma- they're both married. 
Yeah. So, but Christy comes up to me and she says, "What are you shooting with?" Mm-mm. Oh, really? Yeah, because I have the Lubitel 166. Yes. I'm in this bar, this like like you know suburban bar. It's a Lubitel 166. Your gorgeous fox. <laughs> Imagine if you and I went, I'd be oh. like, oh, my God, Dwayne, I didn't think there would be so many foxes. Yeah. Good thing you have your Lubitel 166. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, some guy from, like, Cuba. I don't know. It's a Saturday Night Live skit from the 70s, 70s. when Steve Martin was uh, a guest on the show. They played two Czechoslovakian brothers, uh, uh, Steve Martin and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Your tuck. Yes. So... Uh, <laughs> Christy comes up to me. I have the Lubitel 166, and she's just fascinated. She's like, what? She's like, what? What is this? And uh, I, w- I went online to their website, and I saw that she has some photography and graphic arts experience. Ooh. So it makes sense that she was gr- grilling me. And I said, well, you know, produces a, you know, four by four negative, four by four. Yeah. Lubitel. Six by six. Six by four. Six by six. C41. <laughs> C41. E- what is it? It's A6. <laughs> E6. I told her what it was, and I explained that the negative was much larger. And uh, she, she wanted to buy her a drink. No, her husband was there. Oh. Yeah, that would have been a little uncomfortable. A little, a little awkward. Yeah, but um, so if you're out with your Lubitel or any, uh, what do you call them? THL camera. A twin lens reflex. T L R L R T L R camera. No, punch drunk. Punchy, getting punchy from talking. I love twin. We should just do. We should do a podcast just on twin lens reflex cameras because I used to own a Rolleiflex. Okay. What you? You got rid of it? I sold it. It was my father's too. Oh I've my ha- god! I you... can't believe I sold it. But I've had experience with those. I've had experience with the Mamiya. Yep. And there are even four by five sheet film twin lens reflex cameras like that. Picture that Lubitel, but this big. I kid you not. Oh my they're God. two and a half feet high, made by Peter Gowland, called the Gowland Flex 4x5. Mr. Gowland is one of the just old school glamour photographers in Santa Monica, California. He just turned 90. Oh my goodness. I sent him an email wishing him a happy birthday, and he sent me an email back. I can't believe it. Wow. What's his name? Peter Gowland, go to www.petergowland.com. You can wow. see all of his, all of his glamour photography work going back to the 40s and 50s, all the way up to t- present day. And he manufactured cameras out of his garage in his house in Santa Monica, California. He's legendary as a camera manufacturer, wow. as a photographer, and he's just a gentleman. I mean, one of the nicest people. Wow. And he actually emailed me back. It's fascinating. And he's in his 90s. But if you have an opportunity, type in 120 film into eBay. You'll be amazed at the the cameras that pop up, including the Agfa Clack. I've got the clack. Clack. I've got the clack. I've got the clack. And if you have some, if, you know, a little bit of extra cash, uh, you know, pick up one of these cameras and just like go out on the street and just shoot some stuff. You'll be amazed at the size of the negative. And if you need some 120 film, believe me, I've bought way too much. Send me an email. I'll send you a roll of film. Filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. We're at filmphotographypodcast.com. I want to thank Greg Dumont, our webmaster, who uh, is very, very... uh, Greg Dumont is very helpful. He uh, helps us with our site. He uploads our podcast. Please check out his killerreviews.com. Killerreviews.com. K-I-L-L-E-R-R-E-V-I-E-W-S.com. Let's hit his site and show him we care.
show the man some love you know what i'm saying exactly so we'll see you next month on the film photography podcast it's been a blast it has been so much fun congratulations again to jason from new zealand and rebecca from edmonds washington thank you for entering and these are going in the mail soonish soonish <laughs> all right bye out Don't go